Hello, and welcome to the Weekly Scroll podcast brought to you by the Adventure Archive. My name is Ryan. And I'm Hunter. And today we are going to be reading the rules light, tension heavy game of battling the cataclysmic apocalypse. Those are words. Um, Ark, created by, I believe she goes by Mamatos. Momatos? Ark, yes. Uh, for those that can't see what Hunter is pointing to, uh, he has decided to make his background uh, the cover art. So. Yeah, well, um, I mean, if you couldn't see, you'd know I was pointing. So, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a little bit, of, a little bit, of, a little bit for the YouTube, a little bit for the podcast. Good morning. <laughs> Good morning. We're both tired for different reasons. So, yeah. Um, interesting. Uh, uh, bringing back something I said we wanted to talk about, and I, I'm going to try to remember to do this every um, episode. Uh, quick first impressions, like ten words or less. Thoughts on on arc. Um, I think this is a really in uh, a really interesting like concept over maybe mechanics heavy game. Um, although there are a lot of mechanics, I like the timekeeping aspect of Doom, which we'll go over. Um, and yeah, it's it's very interesting. Um, I think there's a lot of stuff from here that I like. I think I'd hack it, but yeah, I'm interested. You know, I'd go on a second date. I I'm not so sure. I uh, I like the idea, but I feel like there's a bunch of little things that add up to bugging me, partially about the mechanics, the way the mechanics are written, and um, kind of the kind of the vibe of the book in general versus the game that's inside. So uh, we'll get to that um, as we dig deep into it. But it's been a it's been a little while since we uh, since we had this segment, but we're gonna bring it back for you all. Um, it is a little bit light because we are hitting the Christmas season, um, but we are going to kickstart the podcast. Woo! So to to kick it off, we are looking at um, I believe it's pronounced Vason, right? Uh, this is a. a tabletop role-playing game that's been out for a while from free league and anyone that knows us and this podcast knows that we uh stand free league super hard uh they yeah. put out they put out vason they put out uh the alien role-playing game they put out uh gosh i mean why am i uh well so simba room uh tales from the loop Right. A bunch of other amazing games, but they also because some of those games are in Free League Workshop, so they're games that are released underneath the Free League umbrella, but not necessarily made by Free League. The most popular, which is Merkborg, which is released under Free League Workshop's umbrella, um, <coughs> as well as a game that maybe we'll get to once it fully releases, uh, Death in Space, which looks really, really amazing. So like Free League. I think I talked about it. If I haven't, you have to look at it. It's amazing. It's I'll kind of it. like, okay. it reminds me a lot of Mothership with a different twist to it. Really, really cool game. Okay. So we'll get to that. But so this is Vason. This is a newest game from, not newest game. This is an expansion to the current content. Vason is a world where it's kind of, uh, we'll read a little bit. Um, 
It's a Nordic horror role-playing game, letting you experience gothic horror mysteries and the lands of Mary Shelley, Arthur Conan Doyle, and Bram Stoker. Uh, bugs me. Please use your um, uh, Oxford Thomas. I knew that's what you were so, fucking say. Yeah. Fucking yeah. nerd. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's just it's just what makes sense. Written by an industry legend and any winner, Graham Davis, who also wrote The Enemy Within, and beautifully illustrated by multiple award-winning artist Johan Egerkranz, the acclaimed cartographer Francesca Berald, and talented portrait artist Anton Vitas. Basically, the game is it's Nordic horror role-playing game with that, what it just said, uh, kind of turn-of-the-century-ish, like Mary Shelley, Arthur Conan Doyle, Bram Stoker, like Jack the Ripper, kind of quasi-Victorian England era. Yeah. Except you're like bumped up against nature, so you fight a bunch of folklore monsters and stuff, is what it comes down to. I just backed Interesting. it. Interesting. So what I like about this is this expansion is for Mythic Britain and Ireland. So you actually get vasins that are based on the folklore from those places, which is really, really neat. So that's yeah. why I backed it. But what I did, uh, and what Freely will often do when they put out a new game, I did the same thing with, fuck, I am tired and my brain is not working. They put out another game recently with an expansion, Forbidden Lands, right? What they'll often do when they already have a lot of content out is they'll offer the new content plus everything they've put out already. Right. So I did that with Forbidden Lands. I bought everything they've ever produced is one pledge. Basin is the same way. So you can actually get the Kraken bundle and it will give you literally everything that they've produced for Basin for about $175, which is an insane low amount of money for the content that you get. It's literally, what? how many different printed books do you actually get? One, two, three, four, five uh like six printed books a ton of pdfs dice a gm screen a card deck all the stretch goals all of that stuff for 175 dollars it's crazy insane good deal the only problem with this one thing that you don't get in here that you can actually get from free league's website is all of the foundry modules but what's good about their store is you can buy all those individually so if you're actually going to run it you can buy the foundry modules which is cool uh so that's vason uh, it looks wonderful, and just, I was talking to someone earlier tonight who doesn't know a ton about D&D, but I talk too much about tabletop games, so they know enough now about D&D <laughs> and stuff, and just about how big D&D has got, and they understand that, but I said, that's also, realistically, how are you feel about D&D now, which, if you've read their most recent Errata blog, um, you know, form your own opinion. <coughs> uh, it is allowed a lot it. of other... Yeah, I know I hate everything about it. It has allowed a lot of tabletop games to prosper by proxy, kind of. So it's this, it's this giant monolithic structure now that's gone beyond what it should be into this monstrosity. But in its shadow, things were allowed to grow and develop, and things are stepping out of that shadow now. So when you have a game like Vason, which... Have you ever heard of Vason? No. I mean, yeah. Through you. Uh, through me, but it backed for $500,000 and still has four days to go for just an God. expansion to an existing game. First of all, that that's something to say for Free League and second about tabletop games in general. Yeah. Uh, so, Ian, hey, how's it going? Uh, this game is not quite the game Doom, <laughs> but it is... 
what it does market itself as the doom role-playing game uh i feel like if doom had a role-playing game i would probably like it better but we'll see how it goes the cover is beautiful though um so that's Vason. We're going to cruise through this really quickly today to get through the other projects we want to get through. Have we talked about Hell Knight before? No, I don't think we got to Hell Knight um, before. So Hell Knight is a Doom Biker RPG rule art book inspired by badass metal covers in the spirit of a strange decade. Basically, it's the 80s kind of <coughs> slasher VS VHS um uh lore world but a bunch of demons have escaped from hell and your job is to hunt them down uh it is from uh gabriel kuroga which you have heard us talk about on this podcast before he's the same guy that wrote warpland so uh listen to the podcast for our opinions on warpland i backed it because regardless of your opinions about the rule set in warpland the book itself the lore in it the art is fucking beautiful and this book so does kind of so unbelievably yeah. solid, you know, yeah. I, I wish the rules could keep up. But um, this also seems just like a fucking awesome lore, lore and art book. And it even portrays itself in the beginning as a rule art book. Uh, so I think this one and it even says in it like you can use the rules if you want. But here's just a really cool setting. Right. Um, but it looks really badass. I do want to play an 80s biker like Metalhead hunting yeah, demons. Yeah, that does sound pretty cool. So it looks I mean, amazing. The music playlist you could put together for that for a game it would be fantastic. So Yeah, exactly. And if this is like the last one, I don't remember if it is, uh, you actually got <laughs> a uh, a soundtrack with the last one for Warpland. So it'd be oh. really cool if they put together. I told you that. The uh, the kind uh, of like. Did. I do remember you telling me that, yeah. Primeval synth wave with like like tribal drums and shit. Yeah, being yeah. synth wave. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and then there's only one or two save projects I wanted to talk about. Uh, one is. Uh, I, I've really moved away. I still. Merkberg is still one of my favorite games of all time at this point. But I've moved away from a lot of the third-party content. I've got a lot of it, and i got to say probably about, like, 50% of it, 60% of it's really good. <coughs> and then about 40% of it's like, okay, like, it's a cool idea. And it the art looks like Mark Berg's art. The ones that I really like are ones that take the vibe of Mark Borg um, and kind of create something more individual. Like, Philip Reed does an amazing job. Chris Eichhorn does an amazing job. Chris Bissett did an amazing job with his book. That's true. Yeah. But a lot of them are just feel like... Uh, I don't know. Redundancies, I guess. Right. You know, cool. It's dark. Cool. You use the same art style. This one though looks really neat. Uh, for those that don't know what like an RPG jam is, uh, it's when you give a theme and people will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You take it, cut it up, put it on the toast, eat it, and then the RPG is part of you. So what an RPG jam is, basically, you could say, like, we're going to do folk, like folk lore, right? And then anyone that wants to participate in the folk jam would submit adventures, monster ideas, items, all sorts of stuff, all related to that folk idea. So this one is the slasher zine from uh, Michael Mars. And basically, he did a slasher uh jam which is based on slasher films sub genre of horror films you're talking about like jason and uh mike myers and all those kind of people and he did a slasher jam and is basically putting together 
Um, uh, he took that whole jam and is putting it out as two volumes for Merkborg. So it looks really neat. Uh, it uses, like I said, a lot of the same concepts and ideas, but it's got a lot of really interesting, different concepts in it. Like uh, one of them is like the Voorhees slasher. Uh, there's Splatterborg, uh, Hail the Rat God. So it looks really neat. Uh, it is two volume set. So um, I, I haven't backed it yet, but I might. It still has some time to go. And the PDF is only $5. So I'll probably at least back the PDF um, because the PDF is $5, but actually getting the two physical books is $35. So there's a good chance that I'll probably just back the, the PDF version of it. But it does look really neat if you like the Merkboard content. Uh, Ian, I do not think, since I've read this book almost cover to cover, that ARC stands for anything. I think ARC is just the name of the game. Uh, and then uh, Doom Tabletop RPG is because the game is based around the main mechanic in the game is about stopping the apocalypse from happening. So, but it doesn't have anything to do with Doom, uh, the 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 killer shoot 'em up alien game, uh, or Arcs. I guess so. No, but it's neat. Uh, it's called Arc Doom Tabletop. This is the limited edition cover. Uh, <laughs> yes, Drought Merkborg is awesome. Uh, the last thing I'm going to talk about this morning on Kickstarter, the podcast, is a game called Pew Pew. Pew Pew! Pew Pew! Uh, a complicated profession. A new rules light sci-fi tabletop RPG about bounty hunters in space. And apparently there are other games in the Pew Pew saga. Um, so it is funded. It's got 21 days left as of December 18th. Uh <coughs> It had a hundred dollar goal, so obviously it backed. It's at a thousand dollars right now, um, but the pledges are relatively inexpensive. Like the PDF is five dollars. Um, the PDF and print on demand is only like seven dollars. So even with you know they only got a thousand bucks on one hundred and sixty four backers. So it's because it's extremely inexpensive. So I'm probably in a backing this at probably at least a PDF level too. But long story short, apparently, again, there are other games in the Pew Pew Saga. This is a sequel to uh, another game that got backed in 2020. Uh, apparently a sequel to a sequel, but it is a rules light RPG, which, you know, Ark says it's a rules light RPG, too. We'll talk about that. Everyone wants One to be the, these, these yeah. days. Everyone wants to be a rules light RPG. Yeah, but if you're going to be rules light, you got to be rules light. Yeah, you have to have less rules. You know, you got to be it, light it, on the rules. Got to be light on rules. So we'll talk about what that means. Um, but its intent is for lighthearted one shots about deep seated emotional turmoil and portrait introspection. Um, so, yeah, it looks really neat. I, I do. I am getting more into the sci fi genre. We've talked about this. I hate tech in my fantasy worlds. I like grimdark like shit and blood mud like you know low magic low tech settings or if i'm gonna do sci-fi i want it to be like cyberpunk where you literally have computers sticking out of your face and shit so i'm writing I don't a space like... fantasy game right now and i hope you know i take that personally so good you should take it to heart <laughs> yeah do better um but pew pew looks really cool it like i said it's relatively inexpensive it's supposedly rules light 
so looks fun. And I guess their whole point is that they want it to be like this fun, lighthearted sci-fi game. So Pew Pew looks really interesting. It's exactly how Star Wars spells, you know, when uh, stormtroopers don't hit P-E-W, P-E-W uh, looks really, really neat. So that is Pew Pew. And that, my friends, is Kickstart the Podcast for today. Not a whole lot going on. I had um, nothing. I had literally nothing. Yeah. I was just along for the ride for this part of the podcast because I did not back. I just backed what you put put up. So I saw him before, but yeah, dog is upset about something. Well, you see, dog. Oh, guard dog. Yeah, ghosts and shit. Yeah, well, it's an old house. Uh, Drought. Eric will be doing Gamma World after we reach our Twitch uh, viewer award goal. So if you want to see it faster, we are at 67% of the Gamma World uh, one shot. So contribute those channel points and it will get us there faster. Okay, so the next thing we're going to get into ARC. Doom Tabletop RPG. Are you ready for this? Doom. Yeah, yeah. It's not very doomy though, you know. It's not very doomy. It is. It is interesting. We're gonna. We're gonna that was get an awesome into background, it. by the way. I saw that for a second. That was tight. Oh, my chainsaw man background. Yeah. yeah. New chainsaw man info for those that don't know. Uh, part <clears throat> two starts in early summer, and the uh, anime will drop probably towards the end of the year next year. Very excited for that. So this is Arc Doom Tabletop from, I believe, so if I remember correctly, and I'm, I'm a terrible person for not having this written down, I believe she is Filipina. Uh, she does a lot of work with like Southeast Asian tabletop role-playing games, which I think uh, you backed another one recently. That uh, had, uh, I actually, I have a few uh, like Southeast Asian tabletop. Yeah. They have really cool lore. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's really cool to see the Southeast Asia getting a lot of uh, a lot of good hype in the tabletop community lately. So that's really cool. Um, this cover that's on the PDF is the normal cover. I believe it's one that you have. Yeah. Um, again, one more time, I will show the I think this is called the Scarlet Edition. It's got this beautiful skull with like a that third eye on it cool. and stuff. It's so cool. Of course, I had to get this one when I saw it. First of all, special edition, but second, I mean, how cool is that cover, period? Yeah. Um, it is published by Exalted Funeral, designed and created by Mamatos, M-O-M-A-T-O-E-S. Design, written, illustrated by Mamatos. Yep. Partnered with Exalted Funeral. With the incredible support of 2,272 Kickstarter backers. You're welcome. Uh... Oh, you know what? Before we dig into this, there's one or two other things that I actually have for Kickstart the Podcast. Really? Yeah, yeah. Physical rewards. Oh, you got stuff in the mail? I didn't know we were you know supposed to get the stuff we backed on Kickstarter. Sometimes you do, which is crazy. <laughs> uh, but you know what I got? Speaking of the Merkborg stuff we talked about earlier, we finally got ourselves Merkborg Heretic. Very cool. Yes, yes. Very cool. Yes. Uh, maybe at some point we should literally do a whole episode of just like content like this, like cool third party content, like the official content, like Ferratory, Heretic. Um, but it's beautiful, just like you would expect from 
from Merkborg. It's a lot of content that I've already seen because much like Feratory, this is kind of just another zine of right. Merkborg cult stuff for the most part. But it does have some really awesome foldouts in it. Uh, it did. It does come with this awesome, like insanely drawn dungeon poster, which is really, really, really cool. For those that can't see it, check it out on the pods. Um, but it's <laughs> wow, super really cool. neat. Yeah, a lot of yellow and pink and very Merkborgy. It's got a cool, like, just black and white graphic on the back of a monster with its wings wide open, and then it also comes with this thing called Icone which is a basically, I don't know. I have to dig through it a little farther. I do know that it was misprinted and I think they're sending out reprints. It's these four booklets of these four basically uh, profane like evil gods or dark gods and you roll on them and stuff happens. But uh, I think that number 10 is the front cover and i do believe it's supposed to be uh not that so i think they were put together wrong i think this back cover is actually inside out uh if i remember correctly i'd be so annoyed because, yeah so i i think what i heard was that they're gonna be re-releasing those uh but i do need to dig a little deeper into it because it's really really neat but uh, it doesn't make sense if you just open it up, especially if it's misprinted. So that's really cool. Um, one thing I don't know if you noticed, the heretic on the front, the flames. Oh, cool. Are, yeah, those are yeah, really cool. They're in like a foil on the front. So I still wish, even to zine this not smallish, they had put not kind of like stapled in the middle and fold over, but actually gave like an edge to. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? But yeah. And then the other. Oh, and it also came with a beautiful GM screen. It's a shorty, but a fatty. It's not very tall, but it is thick with three C's. I like them. Yeah. But it's got beautiful art. Uh, all of the art is basically these pictures in these gold frames that are amazing. So cool. That is so yeah. brutally cool. Yeah. And then the inside is really neat. It's got a lot of info. It's a total of one, two, three, four, five, five pages, but... On the front and back one, it's actually doubled up because there is like a page that you can actually take out. Oh. And it's actually double sided. So you have entire, like basically four more pages front and back of content on in the GM screen, which is cool. Um, and sticking with Merkborg, the other one I got <coughs> is probably the coolest third party Merkborg content I've ever got. Um, it is from Max Moon. Uh, and it is Abyss of Hallucinations. Oh, so, dude, what the fuck? That's awesome. Yeah, and it's you gotta check out the VOD or go to his Kickstarter page for Abyss of Hallucinations. Uh, he is the same guy that did uh, Twelve Years uh, and some other really really cool content too. Uh, gotcha. That's a game that I would really like to go over at some point. But it's also the art inside. I don't know. I followed this guy on Instagram before he worked with Max Moon for this. But if you actually look at the illustrations inside, they are. Man, I can't get over that fucking cover, dude. That cover's fucking dude. sick. Dude, like the inside, all of it is. So. Really, you listening? The cover is fucking like a very light pink with just gold, like imagery on it. But what you don't 
what you what you can't see and what you can't feel is this is screen printed on in a really crazy way because this is the actual cover of the book with the color on the back so if Dog, you see I'm this front how cool that is fuck yeah. that's so cool it feels like almost like a film printed on over it God, and it's I'm got multiple cool levels of it can i buy I that genuinely i don't i mean maybe he's got a couple more but um I, I i genuinely can't like i will not be able to take a picture of this that's going to do justice for me to send it to you for how cool this is printed yeah um but uh but yeah it's it's a lot uh yeah so uh definitely check that out uh the illustrations are from andy weber um and it's just it's hard to even describe basically it is uh kind of a setting ish um but yeah i uh, yeah it's awesome and not only that it also comes with character sheets which is cool it comes with a color map which is beautiful and if you backed at a high enough level uh to give you kind of more of a vibe on what the book is like uh he actually printed the book of lies from alistair crowley in the same style oh so cool yeah so cool yeah 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 um but max moon does a lot of amazing stuff definitely just just google max moon games uh you'll find a lot of stuff i highly recommend checking out 12 years but it's uh it's just again like i don't even want to dig too deep into this without <laughs> actually like maybe going over this on the stream sometime um and yeah, if we should it's really enough, do like a third party more fork day um yeah. because there's just like we can make it like a six hour episode <laughs> we could you know? we could with all the stuff that i have especially but we could also just do like a max moon day too because he's got a bunch of games that i have backed at least i believe there's at least one or two more after 12 years um plus this so anyway that is content that actually showed up and now that is officially the end Ooh, of physical content podcast it's nice to actually get rewards you yeah. know, for for your investments. That's really neat. Yeah. I'm not even going to get into Tenfold Dungeons. Uh, so, heading back into ARC, Doom Tabletop Arc. RPG. Arch. Um, That's how you supposed to pronounce it. So. Yeah. It's Arc exactly. Doom. Arc Doom. Um, so... Uh, one thing that is great about this book, right off the bat, um, it is, in fact, hyperlinked, which just... Mm, mwah, mwah. Uh, I do love me a nice hyperlinked PDF. Uh, there are a number of chapters. There's an intro chapter. There's chapter one, which is kind of setting up the game and everything. There's chapter two, which is hero creation. Uh, there's chapter three, which is the core rules. There's chapter four, which is spells and techniques. There's chapter five, which is a guide toolkit. Uh, and then there's an appendices, which is really nice. Um, in the appendices, it's it's all samples. So it's samples of creating the heroes, which are basically your adventures, samples of scenes and skill checks, samples of conflict, samples of dooms. So that's a really, really, really cool thing to add. I know that we've talked multiple times about having games that uh, people write the way that they think, but it might not be the way everyone thinks. So when you give yeah. an example of actually playing the game, you yeah. can go, ah, yes, like Into the Odd did a really good job with that. So, yeah, uh, this, is like, and this is like a lot of 
a lot of very usable sample stuff. Like it really is nice. It's also nice to have it because um, we often see it scattered throughout the book. And I always really, I enjoy that, but it's nice to be like, oh no, like I really want to have like a, a block of just like stuff that I can go and refer to. And it's like, yeah, it's just, it's just in the back of the book. So I like um, that, that a lot. Yeah, it, it's really good. And not only that, to go along with the table of contents and it being hyperlinked, uh, it has an index too, like a glossary of terms. So you can actually go search damage and it will tell you the pages to go find damage rules and stuff on. So they did a pretty dang good job with giving you the resources you need to navigate the PDF, uh, nice which is wonderful. Book. Yeah, I think the only thing that I wish they did, which Troika does, uh, is, you know, hyperlink back to those places right. and things like that. And I do think there are times in the book where it tells you to reference another section, but that section is not clickable. So they did a good job, but it's definitely not Troika. I'll tell you that. So we're probably going to skip through most of the introduction and we'll probably skip over the appendices unless we have a lot of time left at the end and just get right into the game um, because the intro is like 14 pages long, but we can hit it a little bit um, just to like what is ARC. So um, off the bat too, I mean, how good is the art in this? Yeah, it is a very nice art book, so... So it's a lot of digital art, and I don't even know, when you look at this page, how to describe this except to say, like, modern graphic design? Yeah, I guess something like, it's like very, that, yeah. Um, so it's I was very listening to clean. With, the, with uh, Mamatos, and uh, apparently this is like... All, all like a lot of this artwork is just art that she's made over the years that she just is like yeah I'm just gonna use all the art that I've made over the years. Um, Why wouldn't you? Yeah, I do think though that like the the layout style of it, I don't, I can't. If you see it, you'll know what I'm talking about. But I also feel like there's kind of like um, and I don't mean this in a negative way. Like how someone who tries like 10 times too hard would write a resume with like some of the fonts and stuff. Like it's just very like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Look how though? fancy I can make this. I got right? eight different fonts in this bitch, you know, but it's a lot of fonts. It's a lot of different colors. So just in the beginning, it says arc is a rules, light tension, heavy fantasy tabletop role playing game where anyone can create urgent stories ticking down to a seemingly inescapable apocalypse. That sounds awesome. Right. It off does. the bat. Yeah. But within and not a, but like within that one line, there are four different fonts, uh, four different colors. And we got caps, lowercases all over the place. It's very graphically designed. It's des right. my, I don't think it's over designed. I don't think this book is over engineered. Yeah. I think they do it. I think it, I think it does it well. Like, yeah, are there a, a lot of fonts? Absolutely. Although I will say yeah. that typically I'm not the person who's, I mean, I am annoyed when they use a lot of fonts poorly, but I'm not annoyed when people use a lot of fonts if it's good. And I think I like this the way they use it. You know, it, it's they delineate things using different yes. fonts and colors. You know, urgent story feels urgent. Yeah. It's got like a yellow background. It's got some blocky lettering. Um, yeah, I don't disagree with that at all. Again, that wasn't trying to have like a butt at the end or anything like that. I think it's beautifully. I think the layout is beautifully, beautifully, beautifully done. My question as we continue this game is, do I feel that the color scheme 
and artistic layout of this book fit the rules and the game that's actually written within the book. I gotcha. You understand what I'm saying? <clears throat> when we yes. get into sections talking about blood and guts and doom and the apocalypse, and it's a very I did nice... kind of feel that. The yeah. art's very whimsical and lighthearted, and then it's like, this is the end of the fucking world. And I'm like, yep. huh, that's weird. This is yep. a lot more cheery and beautiful than I would assume Like the end of the world is. This is so cheery and beautiful. It's so cheery and beautiful. I don't, I personally don't, I don't, as of right now, we'll get into it deeper. I do not think that the art style and layout of the entire book fits the game that's within the book. I think it feels very kind of disjointed to me. Yeah, I would um, agree. It's, it is really pretty. It is unbelievably pretty artwork, you know? Right. But the base kind of color scheme for the whole book is this like dark green, light green, yellow kind of thing. Uh, some of the pages later have kind of a better color scheme, even with the same layout, the same fonts, the same everything. If they had switched that color scheme to more like blacks, oranges, yellows, reds, a lot of reds and like dark, I think it would be a completely different vibe. But the fact right. that this it's all of these colors are very calming. Yeah, very, like, like, it's very cute, lovely, whimsy. You know? Yeah, lovely. And now, yeah, it's like roll for your blood and gut score like to stop the doom like eh, there uh, there's a disconnect um, but yeah why play arc uh escape to a world filled with memorable heart racing tales uh build a story have fun so again we're gonna skip through a lot of this intro part because it's a lot of like what do you need to play arc dyson people that's that's about <laughs> what you need the guide is a person who runs the game uh, and you oh play Ark by using the rules that we'll get to later. Uh, and that's about it. Um, I do like the Doomsday Clock concept, so we will we will hit that. Um, and real quick, you know, Ryan and I always will always joke about like those entry introductory sections. But like if you're like if you haven't ever done this before and this is the game that you pick up somehow, it's really great that that section's there. Um, but, you know, after our what book number are we on? I think we're at all like the, our eighth game that we're going through or something. It's just like, yeah, we're not going <laughs> to. It's yeah. in every book. <laughs> yeah, it, it should be. It should be. It doesn't no, always it have to be. be in smaller zines and stuff like that, that like the the intent of the author is for it to be people that have that have played other games. Right. I totally get it. But this book is clearly written um, not for people that have never played before necessarily, but with that caveat in mind that if no one has ever played the game before, uh, the first chap the first introduction chapter is a really great chapter to have. Like Casket Land, for example, would have benefited a lot from an introductory chapter because that was written with the what felt like written with the mindset that people have already played Apocalypse World or something yeah. and are I, familiar with the rules. That could have that could have done with a like somebody solidifying the rules they added in. And making exactly. sure they were all they were all explained in the book. Exactly. So yes, as he just said, it's not we're we're skipping through it because you can read it. We don't have to read it to you. Uh that you're playing a game because you want to. We'll and we'll explain what that game is as we go through the rules. Uh, there are a lot of really cool, cute quotes and stuff and like roll tables that have some stuff, because there's no setting really to this. You can kind of make up whatever setting you want. Yeah, but there's much. a lot of like there's a lot of like little bits and pieces that give you like a a little bit of inspiration. <clears throat> uh, it's too late, the princess whispered, voice cracking. The three held each other tightly. 
as if they could keep the coal away with what little heat they had. They'd failed to stop the doom. Now the world would suffer with their mistake. And it's underneath this beautiful piece of art. So, the doom in a cat is a cataclysmic event threatening to devastate the world, the heroes, or their people. In Ark, the hero's goal is preventing this apocalypse. So literally, the basis for this entire game is that there is a countdown clock, and you as heroes are trying to stop literally the apocalypse from destroying your world, whatever that apocalypse might be. That is the base concept of the entire game. Love it. Right yeah. off the bat, I'm like, fuck yeah. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. Merkborg. You know, except you're not except Merkborg, you're not stopping it. You're just living through it. But um, yeah, well, kind of. Yeah, I mean, even Merkborg has the the uh, the miseries that you rolled, and once you hit seven of those, the world literally ends. So yes, this is kind of like a whimsical Merkborg. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I'll do the next section. Uh, the doom is determined by the guide and the players. Um, it can be large in scope. For example, a world sundering earthquake triggered by a goddess's death or more intimate, um, the departure of beloved spirits, a cruel heartbreak or farewell of an era. So like the, what is like the, what the, the doom is can either be like a worldwide cataclysmic or be something a lot more like local, um, to your characters, which is really cool. Yeah. I mean, and even within that, as we get farther into the rules, you'll see that there are ways to play beyond that. Uh, there's interesting concepts like rewinding to an earlier point in the adventure with consequences or having another adventure after the cataclysmic event, because uh, maybe there's another one or you're trying to figure out you know, what to do now. So it's, it's really interesting. So uh, setting up the apocalypse, uh, the guide, who's basically the GM, um, any idea you have for the story and its doom may be refined further with the player's help. Uh, so basically it's telling, this is basically like talking through potentially like a zero session. What kind of setting resonates or intrigues you? Magical realism in Southeast Asia, a blend of 1920s gangster culture, post-apocalyptic setting, medieval fantasy with frog wizards. So it's basically like as a group, you can sit down and ask yourself, I think it's like three, you know, five questions. Uh, the first one is what kind of setting resonates or intrigues you? The second is what characters do you want to play in this world and how do they meet? So this is literally just walking through a zero session, which again, if you've never played a role playing game before, I think this book does a really good introduction to tabletop role playing games as far as this early part. Totally. And I think for stuff like this, there's a big implication of like, um, and a lot of rule sets I've said have not done this well. Um, when you write down, like you should do this with your players and this should be a communal thing. Um, it, it reinforces that idea that this is a communal storytelling thing and a social event instead of like, you're the dungeon master, you decide what happens, which I always a little bit hate it because I kind of want this back and forth with the story stuff. Um, and it's good for books like this to lay it out like that because I think it sets the pace for you as the player or guide to be like, oh, okay, so this is a communal thing we do together. Um, I'm into yeah. it. I absolutely agree. Yeah. Um, third question. Are there themes you want to see in the story? So the dark side of anointed <laughs> heroes, cold revenge, something else entirely. Um, I think the questions that they do are really good, too. But the following two questions are essential and must not be skipped. Because these last two questions are literally like about like playing the game. Uh, number four was how long should the game last? So. 
the Doom is time-bound, encompassing a finite number of sessions. Arc works best with one to three session games, although you can play for longer. So it's geared to be run at one to three, but it talks about having long campaigns up to like 12 and the various ways that you can adapt the clock to fit that. Um, and then number five, do we have the same understanding on play style and safety? The only thing that I wish that could have been added to this because I think this is fantastic as we've talked about like the intro is yeah. really good these five questions are really good I wish that they had used some of the current tabletop role-playing game vernacular to describe what these things are like calling this a zero session and calling these safety tools yeah. um, and things like that I think would help because someone's going to read something later, maybe even like an Adam Bass book or something, where it specifically says safety tools, and they're going to be like, oh, I've looked at this in, in ARC, you know? Um, so if they had just added in the the current vernacular, I think we've talked about this yeah. before, if you're going to deviate slightly from it, you sh it should still like kind of embody it, versus like, there's a word for this that already exists, and you're picking a different one just because. I'm not saying that's what's going on here, um, but it's nice to have that association. And it does talk about you know, being on the same page with safety tools and everything. Um, so uh, that is really nice. I just wish it at some point it did say, these are what we call safety tools or yeah. and you can find other things like lines and veils and stuff like that in places too. Um, uh, guide, once this is done, you must flesh it out further by asking yourself a few more questions. Uh, so this is one of the things I'm talking about. There's a section here that says, you can read the questions now and answer them after the players have made their heroes chapter two. Can't but you can't on click it. on that and go to. <gasps> no, I just clicked to the next page. I, I tricked myself because when you click on on the link, it goes down. So that would that would really set it over the edge if it references chapter two. And then that reference would be <gasps> hyperlinked. So not Troika. Um, number six, what kind of doom incorporates the settings themes alongside heroes, rumors, bonds and personalities note each player's answers to hero creations character building questions and build bits of the story from there will the apocalypse be war a cruel winter heartbreaking wedding doom manifests in different ways um i do like this i like i like the setup for this i really like this especially like for me because i like fantasies and space fantasies and it's just like yeah i would love to be like yeah the world's fucking ending um and you're in your weird fantasy world and there's a never-ending winter coming um, it's arrived and you have a certain amount of days before everything dies because it's a never ending winter. So you better solve the problem. It's not fucking yeah. fun, man. Like, I like that. Yeah. And also, like, I think a lot of us, when we do these very open ended games, have a hard time giving players a sense of urgency. Um, but if you know what will give them a sense of urgency, a fucking clock, <laughs> a literal clock, so like yeah, a literal literally. counting doomsday clock. Yes, you I have completely to do agree this, with you. man. They're all going to die. Yeah. So, <clears throat> yeah. And, and, uh, and there's little pieces in within that too when you talk about the omens and stuff. So one of the things that sits here on the side, subplots are formalized through game mechanics that are, that are called omens, uh, which is discussed shortly. So basically it's a way to break your main arc into smaller arcs that do affect your clock, which is really neat. Um, and then number seven, what subplots can heroes discover and pursue? That's what we just talked about with the omens. So we'll get to that in just a second. Uh, number eight is what memorable ideas, events, or characters can support your story. So this is literally just making up NPCs and stuff. But again, if you if you answer each question as you go, you'll create the world as you go, which is cool. I do think this kind yeah, of game benefits. Great. This part's yeah. this part's such a strong part. Like honestly, you could take this part out 
And you can use it in any kind of game where you want to set up your own doomsday. And it asks really good questions. It has you engage a lot and it sets a good pacing. I really like this. You know? I honestly think if you just took the doom stuff out of it, you could set up any game by doing this. Yeah. Yes. Literally. Like you're literally just asking what kind of game do you want to play? What kind of players do you want to be? And then asking yourself, you know, what can I do to make that world? What are the characters that can support that world? What are the subplots that can come from that? This is a great way to to, to start any game realistically. Yeah. So really well done. I like, yeah, I, I really like this lot. Um, and it says, literally says, so guide, you have a rough outline for a story as well as strong idea for the doom. You've literally created an outline of what you're going to do. Let's see how it goes. Um, division of tasks while not related to story setup it can be meaningful to discuss supporting tasks to add value to play guide you have the power to bring up and delegate the following coordinating schedules taking notes answering simple rules questions tracking who's next in a conflict i love this you know i i i i really encourage i think a lot of people especially when they first get into fifth edition don't feel like they can pass things on to other people right but i know when i was early on before like anything now, like especially at a table, I can manage 10 things at once. Like I can be talking while switching the music to a different scene or, you know, I know the rules enough. I don't need to reference this or that. But when you first start having someone keep track of initiative so you don't have to. Oh, yeah. And having someone like turn like music so you don't have to just give them a playlist and say, this is battle. This is not battle. Whenever we're in roll for initiative, just switch to battle for me just that enough like the divin oh, elegant dude, divi never, division of tasks i have never in the entire time i've played tabletop games tracked my the initiative for my group i have always elected somebody to do that because i'm just like, hey i'm not doing this like you let yeah. me know who's coming up next in the order because i'm doing other things especially in 5e because yeah. you're like yeah, i'm gonna yeah. run all these fucking monster stats um so i again i think we're just continuously saying the way that you <laughs> set this game up can be used in just about any game and is done incredibly well. I think she did a yeah, wonderful job. This person job at this definitely part. plays fucking tabletop games. Like yeah. oh, what for this sure. opening section tells me is that this person fucking plays tabletop games because this is really solid device. And some of it we all know, but a lot of it, a lot of people don't. Um, yeah, but shout out yeah. that. Yeah, also, absolutely. this art's fucking cool. So this art is fucking cool. It's on page 29. It's a picture of what looks like a, a clock behind and um, some type of skeletal slash ghostly figure behind a girl that's got this third eye over her face um, with these kind of black and red eyes. If the entire book was in this color scheme with this kind of totally. art. Yes. Yeah, it would make more sense, sense to me. There would be less of a disconnect. Yeah. Um, so uh, page 30, orchestrating the omens. Omens are story fronts contributing to the advancing doom while they may not directly cause the doom, they speed its arrival. Think of them as mini story arcs. Uh, guide, start the game with three omens. So they're literally mini arcs within your arc. So if you have a three session arc, you can have an omen on each session that can contribute to or, or uh, push away the doom, which is really cool. Uh, if your doom is the escape of a demon lord hungry to consume the entire kingdom, the omens could be... The local cult is hoarding golden gems for a secret ritual. The Lord's Council is disbanded, leaving royal defenses scant and uncoordinated. Or the Grey Magus, um, or Magus, has Magus. disappeared, leaving only a mysterious map. So they are literally mini stories within the arc of your story. So you can create these subplot moments. It gives a bunch of different examples, which is really cool. Um, 
But uh, heroes, skipping from that on page 31, heroes can resolve omens to slow down the doom. Resolutions happen when they've removed its cause or have rendered the subplot's impact moot. <coughs> In the above example, the local cult is hoarding gold and gems. Uh, you can resolve the omen by defeating all cult members, stealing all valuables, convincing the cult to disarm, asking the local kowal to intervene, or even burning down the cult's headquarters. So literally, you just have to stop that subplot from furthering in some way, and you resolve the omen. This is good story building. You know, like, this is really it good, is like... great story building. It's, it's really great. just good story building. Yeah. You're like, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. I fuck with this I, heavily. I think that my, especially my design kind of beef with this. Yeah. It's a personal beef. I don't think that necessarily yeah. affects, again, I wish the layout for a doom game full of omens and shit like that was just a little darker. You know me. Yeah. I want my dark, yeah, I get I want that. My dark shit, you know? Uh, because honestly, you could, you could, you could set up a Merc board game using this, you know? Yeah. You, you can really even could. run, a, well, I mean, you don't need the doomsday clock because you literally have the miseries to roll. So... But, uh, but but if you didn't want to run Miseries instead and you want to run Doomsday Clock, you could. And you could set up Miseries for, as part of your Doomsday Clock that you just don't roll for, you know? You could actually you could have the Miseries literally being omens, you know yeah. what I mean? You wouldn't call them that because omens already exist in the game, but same concept. <clears throat> um, but yeah, but, but when I think of how this game is, what you do in the game, Merkborg is what comes to my head. Like that dark setting, that like kind of like gruesome, grimdarky stuff. And again... The way that the book is written, this very, very graphically designed, modern, 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 right. um, like fonts and stuff like that. Uh, again, I, I, reading this and reading it again, I feel like there's disconnect. So, uh, so you're not supposed to inform the players when they've stumbled upon an omen. I can only imagine when they get to a side quest that they're going to realize it, but it's fine. Um, but it says, not for example, it's part of the book. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you're not supposed to tell them, but you're supposed to give them clues. For example, the town crier can proclaim that something is amiss or a villain killed the priestess and left a calling card. Uh, that, you know, kind of gives them the sense, oh, maybe this is an omen. Uh, can an omen stay active even when heroes have already attempted to address it? In our example above, perhaps the heroes informed the koala about the situation, but told a deeply incomplete story resulting in the guards being ill-prepared to corral the cultists. The omen can still be unresolved in this case. If the hero's approach is mismatched or significantly inadequate, the story should reflect a non-improvement. Um, if you if fail, you should fail. I agree. Yeah, yeah. Wholeheartedly uh, agree with that. Alternative ruling for short games. For games less than three hours long, you can play with just two omens instead of three to keep the story lean. So building the Doomsday Clock, this is a really cool thing. So the Doomsday Clock charts the apocalypse's inevitable approach, advancing at set time intervals. Once it reaches its end, the doom is unleashed. The doomsday clock is made up of discrete intervals called moments. Its speed and number depend on how long you intend to run the game. So, uh, we're it. There's a thing that makes sense in this part of the game right now, which is real world time. But throughout the course of the book, they talk about real world time a bunch of times in ways that I'm not a big fan of, and we'll get to those. But uh, if you remember, and we'll talk about it again later, short rests and stuff like that. And the way that they're written, um, I'm we'll we'll talk about it. Um, so I remember off the top of my head, yeah. So number of there's a, a really nice chart here that has number of sessions, number of moments, and the doomsday clock advances every right. So for one session, uh, the number of moments there's three per hour of play. 
Example, for a four-hour session, the Doomsday Clock has 12 moments, four times three, and advances every 30 minutes. So it literally says Doomsday Clock advances every 30 minutes. So you'll literally, like, move your clock forward every half an hour in a four-hour session. Um, <coughs> in a two- to three-session game, it's one and a half for number of moments. It's one and a half per hour of play rounded up. So for two five-hour sessions... The Doomsday Clock has 15 moments because it's 10 times 1.5 and it advances every hour. And then for four plus sessions, it's again 1.5 per session. But for seven sessions, Doomsday Clock has 11 moments, 7 times 1.5, and advances every session. So long story short, Ooh. if there's only one session, it advances every 30. If there's two to three sessions, it advances every hour. And if there's four plus sessions, it advances every session. So... It's a, it's a it's a really I think that's a really clean way to yes. determine the length of your clock. Yeah, I agree. Uh, every time the doomsday clock advances, one mo one moment is consumed, which is interesting because there's other ways that those moments can be used up, and we'll get to that. Uh, then roll a d6 equal to the number of omens still in play, consuming one more moment for every five or six. So every time the Doomsday Clock advances, however many omens are still left in your story, you roll that many d6s. And if any of them land on a 5 or a 6, you remove another moment. So the clock winds down even more. But I personally like the... It depends on how many games you're running. But they do have an alternate um, option where uh, you roll all of your dice... And if any of them have a five or a six, you just take away one additional moment. Because say you roll four D6s and you get three fives and a two. I think I prefer that, actually. Yeah. It just depends on how the dice roll. I mean, you could just have a really short game because you got fucked with the dice rolls. You know, because statistically, you're not going to get four fives on, on five D6s. Well, but we know, how, we know how consistent dice statistics are in practice. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah. So, but I do like the the alternate rule where you just take away one of the, yeah, softer risks is what they call it. Basically, uh, you roll to take away one additional moment, but that's the max number that you can take away. And it is the ideal for games less than three hours. Basically, that's that's a good way to do one shots, uh, especially because you're, you're going to have so many fewer moments in a shorter campaign anyway. I agree with that. Another beautiful piece of art that is just it's a piece just, of art. I, there's, it's such great art, but it's just way too peaceful and beautiful and calming for a game about you saving yeah. the world from ending. And it's a little bit non sequitur, too, right? Like, what does this have to yeah. do with anything? It's gorgeous. No, I mean, don't get me wrong. Well, also, yeah, it's like we're going, we're not even in the character. Like, this is a good piece of art before your character creator, creator session or section. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, but we're not. We're, we're not, not there at the character creation yeah, section. Not, so the there. art... The art is just this woman in what appears to be kind of like a golden headdress with this, you know, kind of cyan colored makeup. Uh, anyway, it's really well done. But part D, when Doom is vanquished, uh, through skills and teamwork, the heroes ascend as legends of the land, their names forever remembered. What happens next? Uh, you bask in your success or face ever grander dooms. Um, and then when Doom vanquishes all, it is entirely possible for heroes to do their best and still fail. Uh, the doom happens, the tears fall, such is life. You get like two that. options. Yeah, I love it. Dude, you can totally fucking lose. You you probably will. 
I like you know? failure. Offering the option yeah. for failure makes a game more engaging. Um, yeah, yeah and, 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 and seem more alive. Um, I was playing The Outer Worlds, and you, I was just killing everybody, and there's not really any like negative repercussion in the long term for just killing everybody. And I was just like, well, that's not really satisfying. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So... I don't know. I, I like consequences, you know, and I do yeah. like failure. Like one of the things I like most about, you know, the 2D6 kind of powered by the apocalypse system and when we ran Victory Basic, you know, it's uh, one of the things I like about seven and nines is sometimes your success can still feel like a failure based on the consequences. You know what I mean? So I hate gets. Yeah, it's very uh, true. So two options. Especially with your, especially with your consequences. <laughs> hey, listen, it was almost all randomly rolled. <laughs> you all TPK'd because you didn't think that the, the rubies and a devil face were important. When I had to like figure out how much I you wanted them to be worth because you wanted to sell it and I didn't have that prepared, it was probably a good indicator that you probably shouldn't have sold it. Anyway. I'd do it again. Uh, yeah. The epilogue or epilogue or new beginnings if you fail, basically. If you fail to defeat the apocalypse, uh, you can choose to accept the world's end. Allow each player to say two to three sentences describing their hero's life after the apocalypse. And once they're done, that's it. You lost. The world's over. Or new beginning. The apocalypse may have happened, but new beginnings can still flourish. Use the ruins of the world to create a sequel with even higher stakes. I like that. I like that, you know, and depending on what doom you guys are facing, it's like, because in some situations I could see... This fucking cat is like just so ready for pets. Um, like, yeah, like it doesn't really make sense for us to continue on after this doom. There's nowhere there for us to go. And in some situations, it'd be like, no, like there's definitely somewhere for us to go. You know, yeah, like absolutely. there's a lot for us absolutely. to do. The world's just different now. Come here, cat. So I'm sorry. It's not two. It's three things. And I brought this up earlier. The third option is the rewind, which when I first started reading it, I was like, eh. but then when I got to the end of this page, I was like, oh, that's neat. So you choose to rebel against destiny. Perhaps there's a second chance. Agree as a table up to what point in the story you want time to be rewound. All heroes retain their stats, inventory, as well as memories of the fallen future. The doomsday clock oh, goes that's, back. That's sick. <laughs> Actually, yeah. that's really cool. Oh, wait, no. The doomsday clock goes back in time as well. If your game is one shot, restore two moments. If your game is two to three sessions, restore one moment. If your game is more sessions, restore just one moment per session left. I'm sorry. The second one was restore one moment per total hour of play left for two to three sessions. Um, but do not take this choice lightly. If you rewind time, decide or roll 1d6. We love our random rolls here. A beloved ally turns to dust. An innocent maiden kills her mother. Three pale girls rise from the dead and snake their way towards the heroes. A god dies, their body flung to the world below. A Holy small shit. humble yeah. A small humble family becomes a new plague's first victim, or a new omen comes to light. Play the game as normal, forever burdened by visions of the altar future. I like that. It's kind of like you could try again, but there's consequences to your action. I do too. Although I think depending on what setting we're doing, I think I would actually custom pick the consequence. So oh, I might not yeah, roll for it. Yeah. Um, I do like the God dies or bodies flung to the world below. It's just thinking like, uh, you're play Final fantasy 15. No. Oh, there's a massive crater in the middle and it's literally a God's body um, or in the mountain. But yeah, just oh, like spoilers. 
However, it's it's been that game's been off for like four years. If you if that ruined the plot for you, you're a fucking idiot. Play the game. You know? Uh page thirty-eight, moving into uh hero creation, chapter two. Okay. Uh, another, now we're gonna another... get in, we're gonna get into yeah. it now. So this is the part where I was like, what? And then core rules is I was like, what what? So yeah. So First off, player, art on art on thirty nine is weird. Yeah, uh, it's like a little kitten with a camera uh, looking at fireflies. Is what it looks like to me. I mean, I Again, guess it makes sense. Yeah, that's a character you could create. I mean, you can create any kind of character you can think of. I guess. But again, it's very cutesy and whimsical. It doesn't feel very, very doomy, and it feels very whimsical. Uh, for our Doom world, where we just talked about gods being flung to the surface of the world. I know. <laughs> Excuse me. That's what I feel. This is just, just disjointed, non-sequitur kind of art throughout the book. And then we get to this player section page, which is just beautiful. It's like these white pages with these, like kind of blue-green blocks and golden-edged um, boxes and stuff. So, again, it's beautifully laid out. It just doesn't feel like it fits the vibe of the game. Yeah. So, player, you move the story and explore the collective world through your heroes. You can play any hero you want, um, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, there is a random hero generator, which I think is neat. You roll 1d6 on every list below if you want. So, your hero is a... What? I'm gonna roll for uh, why, don't, why don't you roll a d6? Yeah. Okay. Um, let, boop. I rolled a one. Amphibious. Roll me another d6. Two. Uh, an amphibious, uh, amphib amphibious noblin. I don't know what a noblin is. Like a goblin. Six. Sure, we'll say that. Uh, who perfected the recipe for capybara curry. Five. And has six fingers on both hands. Hell yeah. That is the character that you just created. So, good times. Uh, interesting roll tables, but again, this is one of those things where you could really modify a roll table specific to your doom if you wanted characters to have that option. Um... So I don't think that these tables are necessarily meant to be like, these are the other ones you can roll on. Obviously, I feel like those are more just inspirations for the kind of things that it's you a could good, use it's to a make good your own table. structure. Like you're like, yeah. oh, OK, cool. Like this is what it looks like. I can yeah. I can make my own options very easily. Yeah. So. And it's kind of it's nice to the first time you ever played this game it's there. And then if you can continue to play the game, everyone could come up with their own tables like. I, I imagine people being like, hey, for next time, why don't you create a table of what you could be? Why don't you create a table of this? Why don't you create a table of that? Then we'll all get to roll on each other's little creations. I think that'd be really neat. So uh, six parts to determining your character. One is determine approach scores. Two is assign blood and guts modifiers. Three is assign skill ranks. Four is determine inventory. Five is answer character building questions. And six is determine bonds. So we're definitely getting into the part where the game shies away pretty heavily from rules light right as we get into the rules. Yeah. Inventory is an interesting one that we're going to go over. I always thought the, the inventory was interesting. I think interesting is an okay word for it. Yeah. Um, every sure step you have the option of randomly rolling instead of assigning a value, which is cool. You know, we love those rolls. Uh, the how to play arc section in the introduction. Again, when you click introduction, it doesn't take you back to the introduction. Already give an overview of the hero's aspects, um, and you can check out hero, hero creation and action in the appendix, which again is really, really, really cool. 
what if you make it what if you make a terrible hero again a really good intro to tabletop roleplay games that straight up says it's about having fun not min maxing is basically what the story says is you yeah. might feel that your character is not necessarily powerful but you don't have to be the most powerful character to have fun and for cool and to do cool stuff you know so long as they fit in the setting and want to save the world there are no wrong decisions that's the end of this section really smart again did a really good job writing a game for I don't necessarily think the game is for beginners, but I think it is incredibly beginner friendly. I agree. Yeah. Like you could be someone who's played games for 20 years and pick up this game and have a really good time with it. Um, but you could also be someone who's never played a game before, read this book, and I feel like have a good understanding of how to play a game. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So step zero, inspect the character sheet. So uh, one cool thing, they have a lot of support for this. You can go to the website and download the character sheets. Um, which is really nice because, again, in, a, in games that are much less rules light than I think they portray themselves to be, having all of your stuff and all of the math and everything laid out in front of you makes it a lot easier to understand. So um, there is a, a kind of preview of the character sheet here. Uh, it says go to arc-rpg.com to download the character sheets. So go do that. Uh -huh. So step one. They, are, they are actually very pretty character sheets as well, just FYI. Like they do look very pretty. Yeah, I mean, the entire thing, this entire book is beautiful. It's gorgeous. Uh, again, I just wish it was like red and black and doomy, you know. Uh, step one, determine approach scores. So this is where I started getting lost and read a bunch of things a bunch of times. There's a lot of algebra in the, in the rules of this game. Uh, it's a little nasty. You know, it's super mathy, super mathy, which which and I think the way it's written feels very distilled. I don't know, like maybe that's not even the word I'm looking for. Uh, sterile. It reminds me of Warpland in that I feel like it's not written the way I talk. You know what I mean? Like it's written very like. I don't even know how to describe it. Very dictionary. Like yeah. this unto this with the thrice and the this and like, I don't know, we'll, we'll read it and you'll understand where I'm coming from. Like you understand what I'm saying, the, the, the listeners. Yeah, I do. I, I, yeah, this yeah, is what I look viewers. over the most, actually. Yeah, approach scores represent the hero's aptitude for solving problems and using skills in particular ways. Do they tend towards creative solutions? Are they careful and detail-oriented? Or do they gravitate towards resolving challenges through sheer concerted effort? There are three approaches, creative, careful, and concerted. So skills using a creative approach are performing or performed in interesting, unusual and surprising ways. Excuse me. Cleverness also applies to creative, creative skills. Skills using a careful approach utilize close attention to detail, analyzing variables and ensuring the action does not trigger any unwanted consequences and skills using a concerted approach exemplify effort, grit and willpower. Each score goes from zero to plus three, as a lot of games do. Zero means you ain't no shit. Uh, plus one is average. Two is gifted, and three is an expert. So, uh, so okay. So we have a whole page of what amounts to math. Uh, and I was a straight A student in every class I ever took, from any time I ever got any grade, right, except for math and Spanish. <laughs> okay. so basically they're here all here i'll take the reins on this one so basically we, what you are doing 
uh, when you roll for something, more or less, is that there's going to be a threshold number that you need to roll below on a D6 whenever you're trying to do a skill-based thing. What you do is you add the relevant skill with the approach score. So let's say you have a 2 in the skill and a 1 in the approach score. Um, and you have to just roll under that with a D6. So the bigger the number, so the more skill you have in either the approach or the actual skill, relevant skill itself, the bigger that number is. Um, obviously, plus three being the max. So I think skills can get to three as well. Uh, we haven't gotten skills yet. We'll get to find out. Um, but yeah, so then you roll under with a D6. Um, it's yeah. it's explained in a way that seems very long-winded on this page. Yeah. No, um, and I get that part. But the thing is, as we get farther in, there's like five other modifiers you have for this too, because you have your bonds and you have this and you have that. It's just oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's not just this. Simple, about that. Right? Yeah. So, so to read what's on the page, you guys know what we're saying. It says approach numbers determine how well your hero performs in action. Your hero's approach score plus their ranks and a relevant skill set a threshold number for a given task. You roll 1d6 hoping for a result under the threshold. You said it in a way that's easier for me to digest. Um, yeah. Like you, I mean, it's not that hard. This part is, but it totally. keeps adding, right? This means the higher the threshold number, the easier it is to succeed. But they mark it as TN, so you literally get to a point where it's like one d six plus three below TN is this and that. It, it becomes like a, an equation. It really does. Yeah. Uh, which I guess a lot of tabletop role playing games are. Uh, I think the other thing it, is like TN is a new term. You know, it's not yeah. like DCAC. Um, yeah. Yeah. Whatever. Uh, so. Check. Yeah. If all approach scores become zero, your hero falls. So chapter three, life, death, and naps for what happens next. Again, it's a game about doom, and the naps thing just feels. I not... like the naps thing. I think you can keep the naps thing. You're not I don't know, sleeping. Just... You're taking naps, buddy. It feels doomy. It's called a short rest, not a nap. Uh, for for what happens next, approach scores can also be increased during play uh, when you evolve your hero. So again, there's a there's a chart here for everything that he just said. So to determine your hero's approach scores, assign each of the following scores to an approach 0, 1, and 2. So I assume that means you literally start with those three things and you give 1 a 0, 1 a 1, and 1 a 2. Yeah. So but again, there's options to randomly roll if you want to do that. Uh, and if you roll a 1 to 2, it's creative. A 3 to 4, it's careful. And a 5 to 6, it's concerted. Uh... If the maximum number of points you have to distribute is only one, don't worry, you'll receive extra blah, blah, blah. So assigning, this is step two now, right, of the six. Assigning blood and guts modifiers, because it's not just your approach scores and your threshold numbers with your skills. You also have blood and guts modifiers. This is a good piece blood, of art, too. Yeah, it's a good piece of art. Um, it's just a neat piece of art, but it doesn't really do or say or anything. It's just a character. It's darker, though. You know? It is darker. It's and a little the section, less whimsical. And the section is written on this, like, really nice dark red, which I enjoy for the blood and gut section. For blood and guts. Um, so blood is the hero's ability to withstand physical harm. If blood is reduced to zero or less, the next damage it receives reduces approach scores instead. Long story short, as, we, as it said earlier, if your approach score hits zero, all three of your approach scores hit zero, you you dead. You done did a dead. Kind of. There's ways that you don't die. Um, like you can just choose not to. But we'll get there. So basically, blood is physical harm, and then guts is a measure of the hero's ability to withstand mental or social harm. 
same exact thing happens. If your gut is reduced to zero, the next time you take damage, you take damage off your approach scores. So this is the same kind of concept as like Lancer's, like you take damage to something before you take core damage. Right. And then, or what into was, the odd. That was going to say into the odd. You, you don't really take, how does into the odd work as far as that you goes? You take damage to your hit protection first and hit then you protection. take damage to stats. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, and it's just to strength, right? And when your strength is zero, you're done. So. Uh, it's to strength to kill you, but you can actually damage other stats for other effects, such as, Ooh. yeah, if you give somebody, get somebody down to zero will, they just go brain dead and you have to like, oh, take, that's like right. drag them around. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so this is a similar concept, which is newer as far as I'm concerned with tabletop roleplay games, where like you reduce... It. Yeah, I, I like the concept of like you reduce something to reduce something afterwards. It's interesting. Hey, Map, thank you so much for the raid. We appreciate that. Um, we are we are reviewing uh, Ark, the Doom tabletop RPG. Thank you so much for coming in. We really appreciate that. Uh, welcome, everybody. Welcome, Raiders. Uh, so Greetings. we are in character creation section now, part two, talking about blood and guts and how that works. Uh, so blood and guts can vary from day to day, which again, you, you start, I don't know. Um, when your hero wakes up from a long rest, so this is the first time you see this come up and I don't like it. I'll straight up say, I can't even rationalize a way that I like it. I don't like it. A long rest is a break taking five real time minutes and up to 10 in story hours. You have the option of rolling for their new blood and guts for the rest of the day. 2d6 plus a modifier determined during hero creation. If you choose not to roll, they simply gain a small amount of health back. So I guess I just don't like what is what is if everyone's like, we're taking a long rest. So let's just sit here for five minutes. Bathroom break. We just took a long you we just took a long rest. Yeah, I mean, I, I understand that, but like. No, I don't understand. There's not, there's not a rationale to just be like, all right, we take a long rest. Like, I, I guess the concept is like, since since some of the modifiers for moments are based on hours and stuff like that, but right. taking a five taking a five minute part out of a game because you know games are gonna run shorter long anyway based on when's a good stopping point. Yeah, there is no rational reason I could I could think of, and I I thought about this for a while that you need to actually say, okay, let's set a five minute timer, go fuck around somewhere else instead of playing the game we're all here to play. Yeah, I feel like that's quantifying a thing that doesn't really need to be quantified. Like you're gonna exactly. take breaks in the gameplay. It doesn't need yeah. to be doesn't need to be effect, yeah. gameplay affecting, you know? Yeah, it's definitely an overcomplication that's unnecessary. I gotta get so, this cat out of this closet. Keep talking. Alright. So uh two D six plus a modifier determines your initial blood and gut scores, right? So but there's other options, right? So say your blood say your hero has fifteen blood and six guts from the previous day. If you choose to re-roll, you roll 2d6 each for blood and guts, then add their modifiers to the individual results because you picked something that modifies blood and something that modifies guts, right? That's my, right. what I get from it. Yeah. If you, get a, if you get a total of 12 and 10 for blood and guts, for example, it overwrites the current health and becomes your hero's new health stats. So you can risk it for the biscuit if you think you're going to roll higher, but if you got decent blood and gut scores... You probably shouldn't do that. Yeah, um, I would yeah. agree. 
ACB, it says maybe make it two minutes. I do believe the short rests are two minutes. So that already exists. It's just the 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 real time long rest. I mean, the other thing is that like I don't need to penalize my players in game or like affect them in game for like to for recapping or talking about what they just went through. Like I want them to have that room to discuss. I don't know if I want to quantify that with like a oh yeah, like I don't know. Yeah. I don't like the force five minute break. Yeah. Um, and and again, I think I think the short rest when we get to rests and naps and whatever, um, I do believe short rests were were two minutes. So there are there are no, Matt, things. you're not missing any context. We are also we are also confused about that aspect specifically. So, yeah. So there are parts of the game that do talk about um, real world time. Like there's a set number of true. kind of but there's a set number of moments uh, in a game which determines uh the doomsday clock because this game is literally about counting down an actual clock so there is a set amount of moments in a set amount of time but it's it's over the course of like hours and sessions so a five minute forced real-time break all that does i mean since you are literally using an actual clock if it's 30 minutes to the next one and you literally have to take five minutes off i would rather just say remove five minutes yeah. from your clock you know i mean or like i don't know i i don't i don't love it i like the other I don't, like i like the other timing mechanics and stuff like that but like i don't know if i if all my players are like hey like this is a good resting point we all need to take a bathroom break and stretch our legs i don't know if i'm gonna go okay well the clock's gonna still tick for five minutes and it's gonna take five minutes away from your clock you know exactly yeah so so the entire game is about stopping the apocalypse uh, map um, and for those listening, when we say map, uh, we were raided by Map This Dungeon, um, who is uh, another streamer, uh, member of of our community in our own as well. Um, but uh, so when we say map, we're talking to a specific person. Uh, so um, yeah, I mean, again, if you're doing the short session one where a moment disappears every thirty minutes, I guess I understand. Like you're when you take a long rest. You're literally losing time on your clock. But again, I still think it would make more sense to just say, take five minutes off the clock. Because I'm not going to just sit here and let the clock tick down IRL versus yeah, just okay. removing I'm, five I seconds mean, from the clock. I'm more fine with that, you know? Yeah. But even that, I mean, the, the odds of taking, if you're only doing a one session game, the odds of how many long rests are you going to take in the course of like a three hour session, five minutes isn't really going to change a whole lot. Yeah. So. Um, so that's a part that I was not a super huge fan of. I think there's different ways to do it. I think this is maybe cleanish, yeah, but not necessarily. It's a, thing. it's a thing. So modifiers for blood and guts do not have to be the same. They can be increased during play. Again, if it says C chapter three, I should be able to click there and go to chapter three. Um, but you'll set its starting value now to determine your base blood and guts modifier. Allocate modifiers to blood and guts. So their sum is six. This is another part where I'm like, this is just straight fucking math. Like, speak to me. I don't want to read this. So, I don't understand that. Do you understand that? Allocate modifiers of blood and guts so their sum is six. So, the sum of both. So, do I literally just say, like, that my modifier to blood and guts is not a different score? It's literally, I have a blood modifier and a guts modifier. And between those two things, you have the, I have six have points. Equal six, yes. So, I could do four blood and two guts. Two guts, yes. That's what I'm getting right. from that. I think this could be written in a way that makes that more clear. Yeah, I agree. 
So, and then to randomly roll, you roll 1d6 and record the result for blood, roll again for guts. If the sum of both modifiers is less than or equal to 3, you'll receive an extra inventory item to make up for it. So, cool. basically, you would have to roll double ones to be less than 3, oh, I guess, or yeah. equal to 3, or equal yeah. to. How do you remember less than or greater than symbol? Um... I've just, I don't know. I don't have like a mechanism for it. I just, I've just seen him enough. Oh, see, I, I'm a kind of person who, uh, I don't really like remembering things by remembering something else. But for this one, this is one of the ones I always did. First of all, it's like the little fish eating the big fish. So, you know, the lesser right. one has always got the other mouth. But also, if you look at the, the symbol for less than, you know, it's always pointing to the left, right? If you kind of angle it a little bit, it's an L like a squished L, but it's kind of a capital L that's just a little skinny. You know what I'm saying? Hell yeah. That's how I okay. always remember it. I'm, like I'm tracking that, you. That looks like, if it's a little bit more of an acute angle, but if it was a 90 degree angle, it's an L, right? So, anyway. Uh, that's 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 for you out there in podcast land. You're welcome. Now you remember that forever. <laughs> oh, so, man. Uh, step three. Assign skill ranks. Heroes use their skills to solve a wide array of challenges such as defeating oh assign your blood and guts modifiers what you got son blood is your body guts is your mind basically i'm gonna roll uh some d6s yeah roll two d6s and see what we got you could also just roll one d6 and what's left is your guts you know what i mean so four is my so you, blood so so two, two is, is, is your guts there you go uh and that's your character your amphibious noblin capybara curry six-handed guy person ah, six-fingered hey. Yeah, six-fingered. Uh, heroes use their skills. With ladies. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there are a total of 18 skills divided across five categories. Yes, that exists. Hey, thank you for the follow, ACB. Uh, and yes, <laughs> did we just hit 69% of our community challenge for Eric Runs Gamma World? No nice. one else can contribute. Yeah, yep, we're no done. So, um, so there's 18 skills. I like skills. I don't know if I like 18 skills. It's just a bunch. So, and they're all broken across five categories. So in knowledge, you have academics, which is what it sounds like, pursuit of knowledge, culture, which is the ability to attune with a community's beliefs, like bowing correctly to a witch warrior or noticing uh, a coded folk song or realizing the truth behind some folklore. Kind of neat. I like that. Yeah, it's cool um, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're named appropriately. Yeah. So. yeah. Observing, which is literally observing. Tactics, which is literally like battle tactics. <laughs> um, and those are knowledge skills. Then you have social skills, which is charisma and guile, which are exactly what it sounds like, being approachable and being deceptive. Uh, impose, which is to radiate a sense of authority. Uh, insight, which is exactly what it sounds like. Um, you got some physical skills, which is acrobatics and coordination. Uh, you got and physique and weaponry. Weaponry is interesting. Uh, it's literally like applying sword carrying maintenance, mastering an unwieldy warhammer, knowing a weapon's weak points. So it's literally not just like wielding a weapon, but knowing all the things that involve. That's cool. I like that. Which is neat. Yeah. Um, pragmatic skills, artistry, tinker, survival and trade. Uh, and then prowess, which is arcana and focus. So our, those are important because, um, 
they have to do with arcana specifically is spells and focus right. is specifically techniques which is part of your inventory which is interesting and we'll get to that which is uh, interesting yeah skills have a rank from zero to plus three similar to approaches which means zero you're bad and three you're really good uh so if you have a plus three on an approach and a plus three on a skill you literally can't fail yeah you can't fail you can you can succeed with consequences or something like that there is a, a tie mechanic so the worst you can do is a tie uh so so that's interesting and as we have determined already it's a 1d6 system which is yeah. neat i think there was another one that we looked at that was like 1d6 or one i've read recently that was 1d6 where i, I was think like, you huh. and i talked about something i can't remember what it was but i don't know if we did it on the show but you and i uh, talked about something yeah uh, skill ranks can be increased during play. Again, check chapter three. To determine your hero's skills, you skills. allocate math yeah, skills. You allocate plus two to two skills and plus one to three skills. So you get five out of those eighteen skills. Two get twos and three get ones. Okay. Yeah. That's, or, a, good, that's again, a good number of skills. I mean, that's a that's yeah. a good character. You know. Yeah, it's decent. It's decent. Out of those 18, I can think of five that I, that you could really define a character with because I definitely wouldn't pick five random skills. I would try to craft. No, like, I would make a character, yeah. but you could give. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm good with that. You know, I like being able to pick skills and them not necessarily being based on any sort of stat. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, because I, like I like playing the the fighter that is unbelievably charming or whatever, you know? Um, yes, yes. And, you know, I don't like when stats are tied to skills directly because it's like, OK, well, you're going to limit me because then I can only make my character be this character. So. Right. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree with that. Uh, thank you so much for the contribution, Jordan. 14K already to the Gamma World Challenge. So, um, yeah, I completely agree. I really like stats not tied to or skills not tied to stats. Like yeah. you can you get to make the character you want to make. Um, and just because you can have contradictory parts of a person, like you just absolutely. said, that was a great yeah, example. People or yes, absolutely. That's realistic. Yeah. People are contradictory within themselves, you know, so. Yeah. It's kind of like the whole concept of like the scholar warrior too, you know what I mean? Like if you create a fifth yeah. edition character, it's hard to make someone that's got like really high int and also a really good warrior, you know, because at, at the very highest, your int's going to be like your third score anyway. So uh, if you're, if you're, you know going for the stats but yeah. uh again for this there's an there's a way to randomly roll like they said at the beginning of the chapter there's an option to randomly roll all of this um there's also this piece of of stuff which i actually really enjoy uh it is literally a random skills table so it's literally a breakdown of all of the options if you roll uh 2d6s it gives you your first and second die roll and it'll give you the and it's the twos and the ones. So why don't you roll me two d sixes twice? So what I mean by that is it's literally a, a, like boxes that say one 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 two one three one four one Six, five. five plus one to Arcana. Oh oh, you have to get below threes in the beginning. Interesting. So yeah, okay, roll again. Two four. Two, four, you get plus two in coordination, so that's your plus two skill. Cool. Six, three is another one of my ones, so that's Tinker. Mm-hmm. 
And then the two, three. Ooh, acrobatics. acrobatics. So coordination and acrobatics really tie in well together. So you have yeah. like a very, a very uh, dexterous character is what it feels like that likes to tinker. How many points do I have left? I have two more number ones, right? I think you just have one because you have acrobatics, coordination, tinker, and... Oh, you're uh, right. Well, the last one is plus one culture. Plus one culture. You are a man of culture, sir. You know uh, what this character sounds like to me? Yeah. A, a traveling uh, circus person. You know what I mean? They like, tinker. Like a, they can do acrobatics. They're very coordinated. They're very cultured. They've been around. They've seen things. I'm, I'm playing like a, an acrobat in a circus. Like a geek? Oh, that hit too hard. Bye. Right, so, bye, everyone. <laughs> Fucking uh, bye. Yeah, fuck. Fuck you, Ryan. What the fuck, man? Hey, you know thank fuck? you for the follow. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you for the follow. Movie. Antler Harvest. Um, I don't know why our uh, alert box is not doing the alerts. Oh, I think I've turned it off. off. I think I've turned it off so that it wouldn't come through in the uh, in the podcast. Which, oh, yeah. we appreciate you guys. Yeah. But thanks so much for the follow. Harvest. Well, the, the, the pop-up still comes up, and I see it. But yes, wonderful. Couple follows. We really do appreciate it. Again, thanks for coming over in the raid. Uh, so step four is determining your inventory. Uh, which, again, an interesting part of that. We'll read it right now. Your inventory contains useful items for creating opportunities and capabilities for your hero. Surviving a cold night in the wilderness, for example, is much easier with a tent and a flint and tinder to make a fire. You may also have powerful abilities such as spells and techniques in your inventory. Um, I don't hate it. I don't like it. I, I would prefer a separate, like, D6 of skills or, or spells and techniques, you know? To actually yeah. use up inventory slots that feel yeah, like physical things. Yeah, to use up things. actual inventory slots, especially when you limit the inventory slots. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of that because they feel too different to me. Like a spell and a tent are different, you know? That's true. Um, I would say that it's appropriate to say that a spell and a tent are two different things. Right, unless they're a spell wild. creates a tent and then they're, then they're similar. So... Um, <laughs> There are five categories from which you may obtain starting items, damage and defense, supplies and sundries, oddities and valuables, spell and techniques. Each category is represented by a numbered list of items. Uh, there's a bunch of ways to choose those items. To determine your hero's inventory, you can choose items from any of the lists totaling no more than 30 points. So the number, there's actually like a number set on each one. Uh, the numbers go to, I think, from 1 to 18, because you can also roll, like, 3d6. Uh, to randomly determine your inventory, pick a list and choose whether you roll a 1d6, a 2d6, or a 3d6 on it. Add the resulting item to your inventory. Do this multiple times. You may roll a multiple list until you've rolled a total of 12d6. So you could do, you know, 3d6 four times on one list, and you're done. You know, but because you've rolled your 12d6. Yeah. Uh other valid combinations. So 3d6 thrice on the spells list, 2d6 once on the techniques list, and it, it's it, it's fucking you, you just roll. Um, yeah, you and roll. Then there's, yeah. Yeah, there's it's extra done, item it's like options. Different combinations of rolls. Yeah, literally. <laughs> I, I yeah. So each time any of the following is true, add nine points to your pool if you're using uh, point value, or 3d6 to your dice if you're rolling. 
Uh, if the sum of your approach scores is one, you get nine extra points. If the sum of your modifier for blood and guts is less than three, you get to add. And if the sum of your skill ranks is less than or equal to four, you get to add stuff. Uh, a lot of that will only happen when you randomly roll, because right. if you don't randomly roll, it's usually like you're at you're at the top. Um, so I'll just read. Do you want to just just roll like two d's one, two or three d six per list? And we'll just give an example of some of the stuff. Yeah. Um, how many you want me to roll right now? I don't know. Just roll 3d6 on all of them because it's up to 18. So. Okay. Um, I got five, three, one. So nine altogether. Uh, a nine is you get confidence, which is plus one guts damage and personal growth, which is plus one guts defense. So there's a difference between these. So damage items provide bonuses to damage. And defense items reduce damage and also make it harder for you to be hit. Okay. You may you may only have one instance of any particular guts damage or guts defense items. So guts damage and guts defense do not stack. But if I get another one, like if I have a plus one and then I get a plus two, somehow down the line, I'm going to just take the plus two then. Yeah, but it doesn't I stack to become plus three. That's, yeah, that's, that's my assumption. Supplies and sundries, you can roll like 2d6 and we'll see what we get. Uh, four, six, ten. Uh, ten is board games and a gallon of beer. That's exactly what I would have with me. There you go. Other options are crowbar and lantern. Uh, never tiring horse and riding gear is your your top out there. Uh, never you tiring horse. Gee. Yeah, just go and go. Um, yeah. Oddities and valuables. Why don't you roll me three d six on this bad boy? Fifteen. Ooh, a fistful of seeds that when planted instantly become six height tall stocks. They never explain what height means in the game. They just start talking about it. I do believe height means roughly feet. Okay. Um, but we'll get to when we get to like combat and stuff later, they talk about height. Um, so I don't know what height is. I'll we'll find have it. to find a definition. Why don't you look in the index? Uh, the other thing you can have is a vial of divine beings blood or the pet turtle of a local tyrant. Uh, cool piece of art, uh, spells and techniques. So this is, this is interesting part. So they are rare and priceless special powers beyond normal hero skills. Spells are directly linked to arcana. Techniques are directly linked to focus. Arcana manipulates the, oh, what is it? Um, lengths and short distances are indicated by heights. This approximates the average height of a person uh, and is around five to six feet or 1.5 to 1.8 meters. So a height is like my one height is me. Um, so six height, 36 foot tall seeds. It's a beanstalk. It's a freaking jacket. Yeah. Beanstalk. It's also because it's in the time, uh, time lengths and pronouns, which is a, a weird section. Oh, we kind of blew through that in the beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's an intro section or something. Um, yes. So, Arcana manipulates the external world, focus channels the internal. Multiple instances of a spell or technique indicate how many times it may be cast. So, for example, with two instances of a spell, you can cast it twice before needing replenishment. And replenishing requires a ritual and restores all instances of a spell or technique. For example, if at any point you've held a maximum of three instances of a technique and you perform its ritual, all three instances are restored. Rituals can be as mundane as sleeping all day or as strange as burying fingernails. Um, 
And they talk about more of that in chapter four. So there is a spells list. Why don't you go ahead and roll me? This I rolled 10. Well, this goes up to 24, so you got to roll 46. Ooh, okay. Say well, less. So first, first 10 is a master of elements. Air, earth, water, and fire are manipulated by your will. Oxford comma, please. Uh, what did you roll a second time? Uh, 15. 15. Compel. Compel someone to act in a strange or chaotic manner. Sounds like a interesting spell. spell. It does. It does. It's not hold monster, but it works. You know. Uh, why don't you roll me another forty-six? Nineteen. Ooh, there is no nineteen. Seventeen, eighteen, twenty-one. So there must oh. be a specific way that things are. Wait. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen. 21, 24. There's got to be something that we're something, missing we're as missing far something. as. Because the spells don't have 19 or 20 either. There must be a specific way that you roll that you can't get those numbers. It's the same way I, with techniques, too. There's not yeah. a. Chad, are we stupid? Tell us. Email it to us. Uh. I don't know because you can't get to the 24 with the 3d6 you can only get to 18 but it goes to 24 but it's only missing like two so you still can't get that high maybe i don't know it doesn't matter uh so you can just roll something else uh how many dice just roll 3d6 eight eight you get bind magic prevent someone from using spells and techniques Yeah, I agree, Antler. There's got to be um, uh, there's got to be something that explains it, but I can't find it. But we might have missed something as we were cruising through, and we'll have to dig a little bit harder. But it's interesting that it's both. It's on purpose. It's definitely on purpose. It's got to be on purpose. There's no way they just like skipped a couple. Like 18, 19, 20, all same results. So, no, it just, there is no 19, 20, 22, or 23. How could you possibly not have 19, 20, 22, or 23? I don't know. So, we'll find it, or we'll just skip it for now and come back to it. Yeah. So, uh, Super you can random. answer. What did we yeah, miss? I don't know. But we're going to keep through, cruising through. Read ARC and tell us. Shoot us an email. Come to our Twitch channel and be like, hey, dumbasses, this is the part on ARC that you missed. Um, drop us a YouTube comment that tells us we missed an important part of the mechanics. Answer the character building question <laughs> to flesh out your hero's personality and backstory. Um, answer what makes him different from others? There are three rumors about them. What are they and who believes it? Uh, what was the most painful lesson your hero had to learn? Those are fun, interesting backgrounds. So this bonds part, I, I think it's a really interesting mechanic uh, that I don't know if I like. Like, I think it's cool. 
But do I feel like it's necessary? No. If I played the game, might I get rid of this? Probably. So determining bonds. Again, I like the concept. I don't think I'll like it in practice. Uh, bonds represent two heroes' relationship visualized through quadrants and boxes. A occurring bond fills a quadrant, also called a minor level. Every box it gets filled represents a major level of bond. So what you get are four boxes broke or three boxes broken up into four sections, four quadrants. Okay, and uh, if you fill a full box of four quadrants, that is a major bond. And every one of the little quadrants is a minor bond. So in every major gotcha. bond, you have four minor bonds. But they're the only way to fill uh, some of those. So when you assist someone in there, so let, let's the ways that you make bonds. It's specific to, you have to, so this is for each other character. So you literally have this for every character, these, these quadrants and stuff that you have to keep track of. To me, it feels like a lot of extra stuff. Yeah, for every like every other character relationship. That's what it feels of, yeah. like to me, right? Yeah. It's it's between two heroes. So if you're playing with four other people, you have these three boxes for four people. That's like twelve boxes to keep on track of. Yeah, um, I mean, if you're you, playing with a big group, like I have a big group that I run, that's like six yeah. people. You know, it's, it's like lot. all right. Yeah. So there there are options here too. When you assist someone in their skill check, you make the role easier by a number equal to your major levels of bond with them. You may also sacrifice one or more minor levels to allow skill check rerolls. So basically on top of the whole, like here's your approach score and here's your skill score or whatever, you can also make that number higher if you're assisting them on a skill check and you have a major bond with them. And with that character that you have a minor bond with, <laughs> You can sacrifice one of your minor bonds in order to allow them to have a reroll of their one d six. It makes sense. It does it make sense. sense. But we are we are now we are now leaving rules light. Yeah, um, yeah. Because we're we're beyond your here's here's a roll and here's your modifier. Yeah. Are we are now using two modifiers to create a number to roll under? But we have we're now adding the bond on top of it. This is what I was saying. You have to do this plus this minus this plus this. And I think there's another thing you can even do on top of this too. I don't know if I remember. So like you're definitely like you have a formula now to every it's not just like roll and then add a number and you're good to go. Yeah. It's literally you have to look at these two numbers, roll under that number, and then if someone helps you, the number has actually this instead. Like it it, it works. Yeah. Right? It does. But it, I definitely think it works. Yeah, but it starts to get again. I think a lot of this book is super approachable for beginners, and we've gotten to the part where I feel like it's much less approachable now. But I feel like this is slightly complicated. Um, I don't dislike it as much as like other things. I do think that it could be written in a way that's a little bit easier to understand. I do like the whole like for example, and like they they do make it relatively easy ish to understand. So um, bonds can be increased yeah, during play. No, what's up? Oh, no, definitely, definitely, like, this part's written well. Um, mm -hmm. It's straightforward. I understand what's going on. It's just, I don't, I don't know if I want, like, I don't want this in my game, you know? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I think it's a really cool mechanic that I don't want to play. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so 
Bonds can be increased during play whenever your hero does any of the following. So it's not like if you sacrifice a minor bond, you're never going to get it back. You can allow people to reroll. It's just going to be harder to keep your major bonds. You could have them, excuse me, you could have a major bond with somebody filling your four squares of one, but if you sacrifice a minor bond, you no longer have a major oh, bond because you're missing a quadrant. Bond, yeah. yeah. So uh, you can accept inconvenience for an ally. So plus one to minor level in the first box. For example, carrying out helpful favors, offering a useful resource to an ally, standing ground to protect them in conflict, or taking on some bother on their behalf. Basically, if you help out a homie, you get a minor bond. Um, and this only applies to the first box because this three box is per character. So to get um, a plus two, Accept harm or serious risk. So, for example, jumping in front of a warlock's eldritch blow, personally taking on a perilous risk for others, or giving up a crucial opportunity or resource to prioritize an ally, you get a plus two in either the first, first or second box. I like I I like that it incentivizes players to yes. work together as a team. Yes, I do I, like that. I like the mechanic. I don't want to keep track of this many fucking little don't boxes. Don't want to keep track. <laughs> I don't want um, them to have to keep track of it. You yeah. know, making a permanently life-changing, greatly difficult personal choice or likely fatal sacrifice for others adds plus four minor levels of bond. This is the only way to fill up the third box. Which at that point you're literally just giving them. Why? Why are you knew the plus four? Why is the why is the fourth box even full of quadrants? It should just be one giant box because you're getting a plus yeah. four and you can't do it any other way. So there's no way to get two or three. It's already four or none. I guess you could still sacrifice like minor bonds out of that third box. And then if you get another plus four, you right. just you can't fill beyond it, right? Right. Um so there's different things you can do to fill the first box and then to fill the first and second box and to fill the third box. And then you get like one point, two points, or four points for doing those things per character. You know, someone really is going to enjoy that mechanic. I think they will. Someone will. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, to determine your hero's bonds, choose one hero with whom you have six minor levels of bond and choose a second hero with whom you have three levels of bond. So you get some bondage right away. Right. With at least a couple of the homies. Yeah, everyone's um, into bondage just a little bit from the get, you know? Right from the get. Uh, and that's it. It says, and done. A giant thing that says, and done. I like that. I feel like, huh. okay, good, I did something. Um, cool. That's it. You've created a hero. Your last step is writing it all down in your character sheet. Um, and then there's different ways you can evolve the character. By default, hero creation results in ordinary beginning adventurers, not world-bending warriors. In other tabletop games, this is called low level. However, the guide may choose to award heroes bonus XP so they may have additional distinctions and capabilities. If the guide wishes the heroes to be experienced in adventuring, they award 15. Um, and if they're veterans, they award 30. So basically, we're going to get into XP and you buy stuff with your XP. You increase your stats with your XP. There's no reason to hoard it. Literally, like, as soon as you get it, you can use it and you're constantly receiving it. So... Here's another really cool piece of art that's kind of dark. It looks kind of like a like a demon Yoni situation riding a skateboard, which, again, Hi. to me, feels non sequitur in our Doom Apocalypse game. Uh, chapter three, the core rules. So this is an, a beautiful piece of art on page 65. This feels doomy to me. It's a it's a dark 
like rainy night with uh, a guy in a sword walking up to a massive tree with a huge white snake on it. This is cool. It's a cool piece. Yeah, uh, this one is yeah. is is maybe one of the most appro- appropriate art pieces so far. Yeah, this one and that girl in the front with like the ghoul, the 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 ghost thing, and like the third eye situation. Right. Yes. Those two are really good. Yeah. So summary of rules. Who? So this is again where we move further away from from rules light and stuff so at set time intervals the doomsday clock advances heralding the end skill checks determine the success of risky actions with a chance of interesting success or failure so let's get mathy to succeed roll 1d6 and compare the threshold number equal to skill rank plus approach score modified if applicable by difficulty modifier and or assist bonus ah (laughs) i'm saying like Again, this is one of those times where I'm like, just, just talk. Like, I, I can, I can parse, right? Yes. Just talk to me. Just talk to me like a talk. Yes. Right. Like, rolls below threshold number succeed and above fail. For ties, choose succeed with consequence or fail with opportunity. I like this. I like this part. I do, I like, do this like this part. part. I think this is one of the only uh, Nec- Necronautilus, which, which we know we love was another game where you got a cool thing for tying. Yes. Yes. Uh, so I do like not a lot of games, like, but a lot of the 2D6 games don't have a, uh, like a DC, basically. They literally have just like a range of numbers or something. Yeah. Uh, this this one actually has a, a roll under number that you could, it's a roll under 1D6 system, basically, which is interesting when you think about that. Um, it is, yeah. We're we've seen a couple of really interesting roll under uh, systems so far. Yeah. Well, this, I mean, Inbiad is a roll under d twenty, right? It is. Yeah. yeah. It is. Yeah. Uh, if you rolled one with a rank skill, roll another one d six. If it's also one, your result is flawless. Basically, you can confirm a crit. Right. That's what's happening here because a one is always a success, basically. Um, right. Unless I guess you have literally no modifiers whatsoever and just roll a one. Um, but this is roll it and you could have a flawless and you get a flawless. Uh, so ties are flawless victory. Succeed, yeah. Succeed with a consequence or fail with opportunity unless you get the double one situation in which you succeed with opportunity. You Or you can sacrifice three blood or three guts to upgrade a tie or failed result. Man, so, there's a lot going on here. Yeah. Um, already. You, can, you can do your guts and blood to get from a fail to a tie or your guts and blood to get from a tie to a success. Right. Okay. Okay. Uh, and uh, assisting someone with their skill check before they roll, add major levels of bond to your allies um, threshold number if you have an applicable skill. You can also sacrifice minor levels any time to allow them to re-roll. Uh, this is a breakdown of all the rules. We're actually going to read through of these. So conflicts or altercations where action sequences matter and is determined by what each character can do. So basically there's an initiative order that I also think is interesting that I don't want to play. Um, and we'll get to that. Uh, heroes can move up the two heights freely. Again, they never explain what heights are, except I guess in the, no, 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 they do. We just missed it, right? It's like yeah, six feet tall. It. So you can move 12 feet freely during your turn. Stacking okay. advantages that's, I mean, helps. That's reasonable, yeah. you know, like. Yeah. Yeah. So that's when you're in combat. There's actually, when we get to it later, there's a way that you can roll, you can move five heights. 
So you can move like 30 feet away. So okay. Um, six and five is 35 feet. Sorry. Uh, stacking advantages <laughs> helps improve others' skill check threshold number. If attacking others, damage equals the threshold number of the attack plus any bonus from damage items. All right, we're just gonna. So this is this is a page where it's like the like the summary of all the rules. This is a rule right. page right there. So we're gonna get into the actual rules. This is another piece of art I really like. It's a it's like a raven with like uh, a an hourglass necklace. Hourglass that it's holding. necklace. That the hourglass yeah, necklace dope. is cool actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and the blood and guts page again. It said dark red. If blood or guts becomes zero or less, so this is this is straight up how you fucking die, right? If blood or guts becomes zero or less, the hero still lives, though a subsequent hit will directly damage approach scores. Multiple approach scores can be hit at once. If all approach scores are zero, choose die or live with a randomly rolled life-altering consequence. So this part makes more sense. I, I, I mean, the whole concept of this makes sense to me yeah, in that cool. um, you can recover blood or guts. Heroes can take breaks to recover blood or guts. Short rest, one in-story hour to recover 1d6 blood and 1d6 guts, or long rest, up to 10 in-story hours to either roll 2d6 plus modifier blood and guts or distribute seven points of health. I don't know if I missed this earlier, but when it says plus modifier, does it just let you pick what like what modifier or no remember like what you, is the modifier you, you created your blood and guts modifier in the hero oh, section that's right. remember yes, you rolled the absolutely. four and the two i so remember you can yes. roll 2d6 plus your guts modifier which or was whatever four. yeah or and then 2D6. Blood, was, blood was four and ten guts was two that's for two yeah or you can just take a seven and split them however you want across your blood and guts is how i read it I, i'm rolling for that bitch you know So heroes can only rest in safe places away from enemies, and XP can XP can be spent to improve approach scores, blood guts, and skills. What did you roll on your two d six plus plus four guts? Two d six plus four guts. I'm we sorry, got uh, nine. Hmm. Okay, that's decent. And then how many guts you yeah. got? Plus two. Uh, nine. <laughs> oh damn, son! There you go. Okay, so uh, rules. So so I think we're going to get to this later, but to talk about this right now, and I think they give an example later that I'll probably repeat later. So basically to explain the blood and guts a little bit better, you got blood, which is your body, and you got guts, which is like your mind, which yeah. I, you could have called it blood and brains, I guess, or guts and brain, or I don't know. I don't I mean, see I how guts, guts are your when mind. You say like, hey, can you do, you know, if you're, you were gutsy in a situation often. Yeah, so like, it, you it's, know, not your, it's not your insides, it's, gut, your, you know? it's your will kind of. Yeah. So uh, basically, let's say you have five blood and five guts, right? And you take five damage to your blood and five damage to your guts, and now you're at zero for both, right? And you have a plus one, and your approach scores, again, are creative and and concerted and all of those, right? You have three. Let's say you right. have one and one, two and one, and three and the other for a total of five points, right? So let's say you take five blood, you're down to zero, right? You take five guts, you're down to zero. If you take another whole five damage, that's going to knock your one off of your one score, the two off your second score, and the three off your third score because you got to reduce five damage. And now your blood is at zero, your guts at zero, and all three of your approach scores at zero. You done did a dead. That was a lot. 
Kind of, but it makes sense, especially if it's on your it paper. Does, it does make sense, you know? It's Basically, not more complicated than 5e. No. But you can take a total amount of damage equal to your blood plus your guts plus the number of all three of your approach scores. Right, all your approach scores, yeah. So again, you if you have, have five blood, functional yeah. HP. If you have five blood, five guts, and then one, two, and three for your scores, you have a total of fifteen damage you can take before you're completely dead. Not true because if you take a bunch of blood damage and it's at zero, if you do, t if you take more blood damage, your guts can be fucking a thousand, but oh, it'll yeah, still hit your approach scores. Right, yeah. because blood because blood's going to be combat every time, and guts is only going to mm -hmm. be guts is essentially social, um, social and mind. Yeah, yeah. So you can still take yeah. guts damage in combat, but it's like attacking your right, mind. Right, it's just stuff. mental attacks. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. So skill checks. Right, rules help provide a consistent and rewarding experience for everyone. However, custom rulings can also create more of a fulfilling experience. Every game of arc is your own. The the standard caveat of play by the rules, but if you want to do something different, go for it. It's 5e's cop out. Um, everyone's so cop out. Heroes and arc move the story forward. We talked about that already. Players, whenever you attempt a risky action with a chance for an interesting success or failure, you may be asked to make a skill check. Declaring a skill uh, and approach based on the intended outcome. You must narrow how the approach applies to the skill. For example, I tried to deduce secret art motifs from the markings on the altar is ideal i observe creatively is not so you're not taking your <laughs> you're not taking your skill and your approach and saying i just do those two things you're supposed to narrate how those things apply uh so don't again this is one of those a lot of these newer i hate you can't lump everything into osr i think a lot of what we look at is more rules light because yeah to me yeah, osr um, has kind of mutated from retro clones into any new rules like game calls itself OSR. And I don't yeah, know if that's I've noticed that. I, yeah. I don't know if the definition has mutated into that or people are just lumping it in incorrectly. I think they're just lumping it in incorrectly. So I think even I, internally I do it sometimes. I'm just like, oh that's yeah. OSR. But like you know it's not. Yeah. It's not like it's, a, a retro clone or anything. No, it's it's, it's rules light. light. It's rules light. Um so you must uh, so so it actually gives you a cool table of the five uh, types of skills on the left, knowledge, social, physical, pragmatic, and prowess, and the three approaches across the top, creative, careful, and concerted. So you can literally kind of say like, okay, I, I, I have pragmatic and I have concerted, so what can I do with pragmatic and concerted? Rush, withstand, and do brute force. That or is really I have, cool. I like this little yes. chart. It's a very functional little yes. chart, you know? It's a very functional little chart. Uh, so, for example, let's take physical and careful, optimize, safeguard, and follow best practices. So you can think of what you want to do, and this gives you a way to narrate it appropriate for yeah. the skills and approach that you're trying to add together, which is really good. I think this is a great little chart to use. Yeah. Um, it's like, you know, I know I've been, we've, I've been slightly critical of this game so far, but it's not that there's anything about that's bad. I think this is not really the game for me. You know, like I, I, I couldn't I don't think we're being critical. I think we're reading it and I don't think we're being overly critical of this by any stretch of the imagination. Again, I think you said, you know, anyone can be a critic um, and that's all right. This is our podcast. But I yeah. do agree with you. I think I don't think there's any part of this I don't that objectively is bad by any stretch of the no, imagination. No, it's a good game. It's right. a really good game. Yeah. I don't think I, this I is just, my, like the game for me, but I would no, definitely yeah. 
like be like hey like this is a great game for people to play you know yeah yeah and i'm not saying that i wouldn't play this game especially as written i also think it, yeah. it very much depends on the people you're playing with too yeah probably. i mean you know what it I mean? doesn't every game though yeah yeah but i mean like you know there's people that wouldn't want to play the dark kingdoms you know what i mean but are down for 5e so it, it, it it's it's kind of like and it also depends on the the type of experience you want to be having right right for me if i'm playing doom like i, I it, Morkborg is my game of doom um but again uh even as i said previously with the bonds i think it's a really really incredibly clever way to get players to interact with each other in a party and encourage yeah. and help each other it's not how i would want to do that i don't want to keep track of that many boxes but is it an incredibly clever mechanic yes so i agree with you completely totally i think objectively there's nothing that in this game that i'm like i well there's very few things in this game that i'm like i don't like this part um, yeah. but there's a couple of things in the game where i'm like objectively this is really good subjectively not for me not so for me I agree with yeah you completely. totally I think the five, I think the only thing where I'm like, I don't like this is, is the concept of like five real world minutes without the caveat <laughs> of, but I mean, admittedly, that's the only thing so far that we've been like, oh, I don't really like yeah. this. Everything else but it like, also, yeah, this is good. It also, the concept of losing five minutes doesn't make sense. I just wish there was a caveat of like, or just reduce your time by five minutes and keep going. Yeah. You know, so even that's not bad. So no, 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 no. Uh, but again, I do. I agree with you 100%. There's nothing bad in this game at all. I think it's. I think it's really, really good and really, really interesting. I think there's a lot of things in here where I'm just like, oh, this is a really cool way that I haven't seen it done like this before, uh, mechanically. But as you said, not necessarily for me, um, for us. So um, the sum of your skill ranks and approach score determine the threshold number. We already know that higher threshold number, the better. The difficulty modifier, before you roll, the threshold number may be modified by the guide reflecting the difficulty or favorability of your action. Uh, plus one is easy, plus zero is difficult, minus one is very difficult, minus two is staggeringly difficult, and minus three is impossibly difficult. So numbers-wise, what we're talking about now in our algorithm of rolling 1d6, right? Okay, you have to figure out your threshold number okay, by looking at your approach score and skill. Okay. Then you have to determine if someone is assisting you, if they're giving you a major bond. Okay. Then the guide has to tell you if they are doing uh, a difficulty modifier onto your roll. Okay. Then you have to roll your dice. So, you know, actually... That doesn't seem terrible to me, and and here's my argument for why. Um, because the first part of that is all player facing. Player is going to figure out what their approach score and what their skill is, and if their player is helping them, so they're going to have to figure out that number. I don't have to as the guide because I'm always I'm for the forever GM. I don't have to do that. I only have to tell them like, okay, cool, but this task is an impossibly hard task, so it's a minus three. So my only my only problem with that is in that scenario. You have to figure out a number, and then you have to talk to somebody else to figure out if they're going to change your number, and then the guide has to tell you if they're going to change your number, and then you need a roll. Like, I can imagine if it's a series of rolls. Imagine going around a table of 5e, and when you before you roll your d20, you have to calculate the number you need to roll under. That's really all you have to say. You have to calculate the number. No, you got to calculate the number you need to roll under based on your own stats. You need to ask someone if they're helping you, so you can change that number. Then you need to ask the guy if they're reducing that number. 
then you have to roll your dice. In D&D now, all you have to do is roll one dice and add one number to it. You know what I mean? Fair. And the guide tells you. So, like, I can imagine... I mean, also, when we get to initiative, too, there's a lot of time that goes into that, too. I can't... Especially when time is of the essence in a game that has a literal clock, that's a lot of talking amongst people to get to roll 1d6. You know what I mean? That is a really, really good point. <laughs> you know, but, like, very but good point. we have not played this, so we don't know how quickly it could just be like, you know. I, I think that this still is is very simple because like the answers to most of these are going to be one, two or three, yeah, yeah. you know, zero, zero, one, necess- two, three. I don't necessarily think it's not simple. I feel like it's a little bit time consuming to have this many modifiers to roll. And I don't even yeah. know if this is all of them. I think this is the final one, the difficulty one, I think, because I think the, I yeah. think there's an option to have, is it three modifiers on your roll? Plus there's advantage and stuff like that too. So you have to create your threshold number again. You have to get help. You have to get a difficulty number, then you have to roll after you add all that together to see what's up and what's down. So, um, but we'll, again, we'll keep going. Oh yeah, the assistance. Before the roll is made, the other player may declare if they'd like to assist in the skill check. The assisting hero must have a relevant, helpful skill in the situation. It's kind of like uh, I know I know DMs in Five E who say you can only do the help action if you're proficient in that skill, which I like. It's just like, I'm okay, okay I have a zero in lockpicking, but uh, I can help with the lockpicking, right? It's like, sure, no. I'm going to stand behind them and cheer them on. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to give them a thousand years of death and then just see if that helps. Um, uh, if the assisting hero does not have an applicable skill, they cannot exist. I like that. That's great. Yeah. In summary, okay. In summary, the threshold number is equal to the sum of the hero's ranks in the relevant skill, plus their chosen approach score, plus a difficulty modifier set by difficulty modifier set by the guide, plus the major levels of bond with an assisting hero, and then roll a d6. So it's literally four, four modifiers. Your skill your approach, your difficulty modifier. And I guess this this makes it a little bit easier because in my head, I went figure out the threshold number and then change it versus just being like, at, so my skill is two and my approach is three. Right. And then my difficulty modifier is plus one because it's really easy. And then someone's helping me. So that's a plus two. So it's literally like a plus eight. I can't fail or even tie. There's yeah. no point in even rolling. You know what I mean? Yes. At that point. So it, yeah. Um, yeah. Roll and out. <laughs> and not that it's as complicated, but it a little bit reminds me of um, a shallow run. Cause you add like, f- it's like fucking three numbers versus three numbers together. It's <laughs> I've never played shadow run and I feel like I wouldn't it's want to. Late. And a lot of people I've to. played with said that the shadow run world is amazing and the system it's is a, just garbage it's one of my favorite worlds ever and it's one of my least favorite systems ever we should review it a different actually system. yeah let's fucking do it um we are actually going to review gamma world 40 before we uh before eric plays oh, yeah. it uh maybe even have him on to talk about it with us we'll just pop up a nice. window and he'll go through it with us yeah i'm gonna be really fun uh so roll an outcome player 
Once the threshold number is known, roll 1d6 to determine outcome. If the roll is under the threshold number, it's a pure success. You succeed in the consequence. Flawless success we talked about, you roll a one and then you roll another one. Uh, you get a success with opportunity. If the roll is equal to the threshold number, you succeed with a consequence. So this is the part where we actually get into the consequences of the ties, which I really like. You succeed with the consequence. So that could be delay or inefficiency, such as taking uh, so long that the guards are rounding the corner. Um, permanent or temporary loss of resource, for example, having weapons stuck in an enemy's armor. So it's like you you strike and do damage, but your weapon is stuck. You know, so you succeed, but there's a consequence. We know what consequences work. It's literally how Victory Basic works. You succeed on your roll, um, but, but, you know, um, and then you fail with opportunity. So um, you can do risk reduction, such as de-escalating tensions in the negotiation. You risk redirection, like someone putting someone on the spot, gaining trust or respect, for example, impressing the Elven Queen. So you might try to do a fancy dance in front of the Elven Queen with your coordination and 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 creativity, right? Um, but you fail. But you fail with an opportunity. And although you might have you might have done the dance beautifully, but on the last move, you twist your ankle and fall yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right but you trip the and hit elven, your face and embarrass yeah. yourself but the elven queen is like you know what you fucking tried and not only did you try you did a pretty dang good job you earned my respect even though you oh, fucked you're it so up. sweet you really tried yeah. i really appreciate yeah. that yeah here's a hard candy um yeah, yeah. So, so 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 that's that's to me that's a concept of like you you fail but there's an opportunity basically it's like you fail but like you get a little something something from it um and that's that's the core rules of the game um and then there is the option to upgrade the outcome so you may sacrifice three blood or three guts whichever is situationally appropriate and cool. upgrade a non-successful skill check a tie rolled to a pure success or a fail rolled to a tie basically by sacrificing uh three guts and three bloods and three crypts okay cool you I can like rest to recover your blood and guts in chapter three, um, you can act as a group. If the heroes wish to tackle tasks as a group, scouring the unknown woods for supplies, the guide can ask everyone to make individual skill checks. Different approaches and skills may be used so long as they are relevant. If more than half the players succeed, the task is an overall success. However, each failed check may incur an imp complication. I don't understand how that's not just regularly doing it. I yeah. guess it's just like if more than half, then like everyone gets it, but there's consequences. How is that different than like, you know, more than half of you succeed, but a bunch of you succeed with consequences? So, okay. So uh. conflict is the part where like I kind of get lost because so it's not even get lost. This is the part where I'm like, it's neat, but I don't know. I don't know if I like this. So conflicts are unique situations. Basically, it says it's not always physical. You could have conflicts beyond just like straight up fighting people, you know? Uh, during right. a conflict, anyone can make a difference and reactions shift on the fly. Every action can have immediate effect. Um, and there are turns and rounds. In conflict, uh, everyone gets one turn in a round representing their opportunity to act and affect the situation. Rounds begin when players decide what they do. When does the conflict end? When it feels like you're done, when you've killed all the enemies or you've succeeded in like de-escalating yeah. the situation. Yeah. But again, this is a really good... I, these boxes that she does... With the explainers, I think does a really good job of explaining, especially, like I said, they're extremely beginner-friendly. Um, actions you can take. You can stand your ground, 
anyone attacking your allies within a two height radius, basically like shortish range, closest range, receives a minus one to their attacks threshold number. You may gain a minor level of bond with an ally with every attack you foil this way up to the first major level of bond. So basically, if you stand your ground and protect your ally next to you and that and then the whatever is trying to attack fails, whether it's because of your minus one or not, you can get a minor bond with that person. That's cool. Which is kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You can harm you can harm others, attack an enemy with a relevant skill check, physique or weaponry to harm blood, insight or impose to harm guts. Get up in them guts is basically imposingly. Okay, y'all, that's our show. I'm getting the fuck out of here now. Um, I like this. Um, yeah, it's harm, interesting. Uh, harm other is very conceptual, and it's not necessarily like, yeah, you swing a sword, but it is also that you swing a sword. You know, It could be. You it could, could be, but it doesn't have to be. Yeah. Impose like an insult your mother, you know, and harm your guts, you know? Yeah. So difficulty modifiers no, fuck, may fuck you, bro. Don't fuck, <laughs> fuck you. You know how about how about that? Someone was gonna make the joke at some point today. Um, difficulty modifiers may apply if the situation is stacked against you, or if the attack is done with inadequate tools. For example, using weaponry but not having weapon is hard. So you might. Get <laughs> 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 oh, that's yeah. pretty funny, honestly. These hands are deadly weapons. No, they're not. Dude, honestly, Sorry. like, Minus that's two. hilarious that that's fucking, that's the line in the book because it's a really funny yeah. example. You know? Yeah. Uh, you can try attacking with the skill other than those listed above, but it should only be doable if the skill is relevant, obviously. Uh, defense items reduce the attack threshold number by their bonus rating. A plus two armor, for example, reduces threshold number by two. So more stuff that needs to be added and subtracted from the number. Yeah, there is a lot... As of this point, there's five modifiers to a 1d6. Is that so, include, that's including armor, right? Yeah. So With the armor added, yep. So uh, damage dealt on a yeah. successful attack is equal to threshold number plus damage item bonus. Thus, if a hero succeeds at a threshold number four attack with a plus two weapon, the dome damage is six, which is fine. So the threshold number that you create to hit is the damage you do. I'm fine with that. I like that. It's clean. Totally fine with that. You don't have to create another number. Um, but also, no, because a higher threshold number is better. So the higher you can get the number, right. yeah. the more you can succeed. You can bump that number up to like eight, realistically. Yeah, you can. And you will always yeah. succeed. You're basically, if you get the number above six, you might as well just be like, that's the damage you take because you can't, unless you have armor. You know what I mean? Bad guys could have armor too. Uh, Non-harmful actions. Though. Yeah. Yeah. Create an advantage. Advantages give bonus to threshold number of subsequent skill checks by allies. See, this is what I'm talking about in writing that the way it, writing the way I write. I would not say to you advantages give bonuses of subsequent skill checks. Like I would, like you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, yes. I, I would say that in a more we've you, we've talked about this multiple times. Like we have. you should write rules the way that you talk because that's going to be the yes. way that people hear them. It's one of my. It's um, one of those like it's on that list of fucking rules yeah. that I have on the bottom of my. Like Lost Adam's yeah. document where I'm just like, you have to write how people talk, you know? We need to do another session where we do some incursion in Lost Adam's work, man. Like, I, I went through we Lost Adam's again the other day, and I was just like, this is, we gotta, I have questions. I'm about but to like, change this is, so much of it, so. 
I mean, there's things that need to change, but the the seed of what you got going on is fucking. I, I would play the shit out of that. So let's get working Thank on you. that sometime. Uh, I'm off a lot for the next week. Let's uh, let's hook up. I'm not. So oh, sucks to suck. Uh, most of the time, you'll need to succeed at a skill check to create an advantage. For example, distracting an enemy with guile, grappling opponent with physique, or spotting and shouting. The best ways of hitting an enemy through tactics. I really like that. I feel like this conflict situation does not discourage um, not doing physical harm, right? So in 5e, I feel like players feel like if oh, they, they don't have to do, do damage harm. on a turn, that they right. wasted They've a turn. They wasted the turn. Yeah, but that's because that's that's how, I mean, that's, that's how, how 5e is written. Is, yeah. is written. This is definitely, mm. yeah. No, this encourages you, like, hey, in the damage turn, like we're in combat, you don't only have to attack. Like, you can use your skill. You have all these cool skills. You built this character concept. Apply it. Not only that, when we get to the initiative, this is more applicable, even if I'm not a yes. super huge fan of the way the initiative, initiative works. Initiative is really interesting. I'm actually looking forward to talking about it. Yeah, it's interesting. It's one of those things where it's like, it's interesting. I don't know if it's for me. It's kind of like, it reminds me of Troika initiative, and we'll get there, but it reminds me of the stack. Yeah. Um. So if you succeed at the skill check, you improve your ally's threshold number by the skill ranks used. For example, if you have two ranks in Guile and deceive an enemy into thinking you are the real threat, allies may get plus two to attack the threshold. Interesting, clean, I like it. Right. I think my only big beef with the rules right now is just how many numbers you have to add together to it get to that threshold number. a lot of numbers. Like it's I know that lot. they're all very small numbers, and that's great right. um, that they're all small numbers. But it's still a lot of numbers. And, and again, the problem is not the, the problem is not the very simple math. The problem is the, the number of different places you have to pull those numbers from. You know what I mean? Because you can't just look at your own sheet and do that, right? You have to look at your sheet for your skills. You have to ask if someone's helping you. So then someone else has to do in it. The, the, the guide has to give you their potential uh, difficulty bonus or subtraction. Right. Also has to then tell you if they have armor. That's another one. Right. And now there's a possibility that because someone gave you advantage earlier, there's a six number you can add to it because you get a plus. But advantage is only on skill checks, right? No, because look, if if someone helps you, if if you have uh, two ranks in guile and deceive an enemy into thinking you were the real threat, allies might get a plus two to attacks threshold number. Yeah, but the ally can help you on your next thing. Oh. On their turn, and then also someone can use a major bond. That's how I read it. So is attacking an enemy a skill check? Yes, we went over that. It's a harmful action. It's it, like using it, it physique and weaponry okay. to hard blood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know it's harmful action was still technically a skill check because right here on, what does it say about advantage? It says advantage would give bonus to threshold for subsequent skill checks specifically. So you don't have to do advantages and armor if it's a, if it's harmful action. Unless harmful action is also considered a... Attack an enemy with a relevant skill check. It is relevant skill check. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, advantages from different allies may yeah. stack and apply to more than one opponent. If a hero throws sticky goo to restream to restrain multiple enemies, for example, attacks targeting any of them get a threshold number bonus. Enemies may attempt to remove advantages on their turn. So that's kind of cool. You could literally stack up all of your bonuses for a whole fucking thing, and then have your last guy be like, Hah! "It's like a claymore situation." 
Um, that is pretty cool. But yeah, I do like it. A lot of numbers, it. though. A lot of lot of numbers. Again, it I, it's not the even the number of numbers. It's the number of different people that have to be involved in one person's turn. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Especially because so it theoretically, really incentivizes you to help other people. So there's yes. probably going to be a bond action or something like yeah. that almost every you turn. Could, you could theoretically, including yourself, have four different people affecting the number that you need to roll. Because you could have your yourself. You can have um, the uh, your bond person. You have right. the GM. And you can have someone that who won a previous action granted you advantage or something. So that's four people's involved in your one that's turn. A lot going that's on. a lot. But again, it really depends on the rationale for the game because you really have to pull yourself out of the 5e mindset of like combat has to move and this and that because when we get to the initiative, it's not a moving situation. It's literally a group conversation. So it could, again, this is one of those games where like I really need to play at least a one shot of it to be like, okay, no. Like it's a lot cleaner than it sounds, especially once you get used to it, is what it could be. You know what I mean? So yeah, um, creating advantages without skill checks. If your action is basic or already likely to succeed, like stringing tripwire away from the scuffle, you create advantage without a skill check. Okay. Advantages impairing opponent skills or defensive give a plus one. Advantages preventing or nullifying opponent skills or defensive give a plus two. So interesting way you can do that. Um, more non-harmful actions. You can assist someone. Adding your major level bond. We've talked about that. Um, you can do something else. You may include attempting to convince an enemy to stand down, performing a ritual while the conflict is ongoing, or taking time to carefully study the enemy. A skill check may apply. Uh, you may immediately sacrifice minor levels of bond with another hero to allow a skill check reroll. This does not use up an action. So basically, as a reaction for somebody else, not only can you give them a bonus with your major bonds, you can let, give them a reroll with a minor bond, which is cool. And you get Which them back cool. pretty, it seems pretty relatively if you, yeah, so it's fast. So the economy's fast yeah. on it. Yeah. One of the things that Cersei talks about a bunch and that I, I, you know, I absorb like 10% of what he says into me and like think about the other 90%. Part of the 10% that I feel is like in, in me now is that your game mechanics should reinforce the game you want to play. I agree. Right. Like, if the game has a specific theme and vibe and wants you to do something, the mechanics should reinforce those themes, vibes, and get you to that point, right? So, like, 5e does not do that. If 5e, what it reinforces is combat and that you have to do damage every turn or you fail, it's right? It's combat, though. So, no, I think the combat's fine. It's just stop trying to be a role-playing game, too. It's like Destiny. Yeah. Be PvP or PvE. Pick one. You can't be both. Um, so, Obviously a PvE game, so... Oh, it's a PvP game, but like, so you, <laughs> when in this game, I feel like this whole concept of as a group, you're trying to stop the apocalypse is reinforced over and over and over again yes, in group absolutely. play, help your allies, assist them, do this, create bonds with them by doing this and this and this. I, I love how it like has this feedback loop of, 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 um, like positive reinforcement for your group in order to stop this thing together. So I really love that about the game. So um, you can also use spells or techniques. You perform a spell or technique every time you are attacked before your turn. You must succeed at a random 1d6 roll to maintain concentration. Okay. The threshold number starts at 6 and is reduced by 1 with each subsequent attack. 
okay, so it gets harder every time you'd attack to maintain concentration, which it should. I like, I that. like that. That's cool. It's Very clean. logical. Yeah. Yeah. In other words, on the first attack, no, we get it. Um, right. Like with skill checks. <laughs> <laughs> sorry you're like another oh yeah no we understand yeah. yeah like with skill checks if you roll above the threshold number you fail you cannot perform the spell or technique though no instance is consumed so basically if you fail to cast a spell you still have the spell is what it feels really? like it's not very mean every attack even if it misses incurs this roll interesting so even if if something attacks you you got to roll for concentration regardless because even if it missed you it still attacked you you mean you're still having to con- like concentrate while something's swinging a sword at you so yeah absolutely i do like that oh the other option is moving far we talked about this before so um you can move up to five additional heights for a total of seven heights um if you succeed on a skill check like with acrobatics or coordination to move. Alternatively, you can opt to move without the skill check, but all enemies within two heights can roll a attack. So basically, you do a skill check to move seven heights away, which is roughly like 40 feet, 42 feet. 35. Uh, yeah, four, yeah, or something like that. No, it's two additional. You can do two already on a move. Oh. You can do five additional. Yeah. So, and if you succeed on a skill check, you just do nice. that. You bounce. But if you choose not to do the skill check, you can bounce, but basically everyone gets opportunity attacks. That's really cool. I really like mm-hmm. that a lot. I I, mm-hmm. I I like opportunity attacks, but I like that there's like, oh no, if you're super acrobatic, you can roll acrobatic yeah. and you can dodge all these. It's like, that's fucking cool, man. Like that's very much like, I mean, that's another like reinforcing your character. You know, like, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember my, remember my character is like a, um, is like a circus person. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. and amphibious yeah. circuit person. So for me, and I mean, you got yeah, acrobatics everyone. and coordination, dude. You got like a plus four without even doing it. Yeah. <laughs> so um, this feels like a disengaged uh, dash kind of option all the time yeah. for everybody, which is cool. Yeah. Um, so, OK, we're getting into initiative category now. I think we're almost done with the rules and we are getting close to 11 o'clock. So we're probably going to run to like 1130 if that's cool with you. So we can do all the things. But I feel like yeah. we, we can't not do the initiative stuff. So I'm taking a nap after this. Let me tell you, bro. Me too. I'm taking a bed. It's my bedtime. It's <laughs> way past bed. my bedtime. Yeah. yeah. Um, initiative category. Every round characters act in a sequence. I'll have to step away for a minute or two here in just a little bit um, when my groceries Second get bathroom break. Uh, every initiative. So every round characters act in a sequence based on intent. This is called initiative category. Multiple characters can act in the same category once everyone in that group has acted. The next takes place. So you literally break it down into first, second, third, fourth, and last categories. And this is um, good guys and bad guys in each category act, and then you move to the next one. So there is no... And good guys go first. It reminds me of kind of um, Shadow the Demon Lord in the whole like quick action, slow action... And then good guys go first, then bad guys kind of concept. And then you just break it down to whoever the fuck wants to go first within that, um, which I like. It's it's interesting. So in the first category, it's characters and creatures standing ground. Okay. Um, right. In the second the category, action, you can use the you get uh, plus one minor bond. Is that what we're, they refer to as? Cool. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. If, if you succeed, but you also give a plus one to the threshold number by helping the ally. Right. right. Second, those taking non-harmful actions... Okay. Gotcha. Third is those attacking or harming others. 
Fourth is those using a spell or technique. And last is those moving far. So it's literally every type of action you can take broken down. And then in each level of those things, it's good guys and then bad guys before you move to the next level. The, the next part is the interesting part. Before every round begins, everyone has the opportunity to strategize and decide who goes in which initiative category and how to sequence heroes within each. Once you've decided as a party, the guide or designated player can begin calling out each category. During the round, players can change your plan. Yeah, you don't, you're not stuck to that, but you can't go, you can't do a thing for an initiative round that's already passed. So you right. can't, yeah, yeah. you can't no be in the third back, round. Going forward. No, you can't do a third, you can't be in the third round and then go back to standing your ground. You can't. You can only do what's in the third round or spells and techniques or, or move far away. Um, hero actions always resolve before non-hero actions unless the party was taken by surprise. So this is another part of the thing where I'm talking about clearly this game is not designed for quick conflicts because you have yeah. a million numbers to add <laughs> so and, you, and you literally as a group before every round of combat sit down, decide what everybody is doing lump themselves into categories and then go. So it feels like every every round is like a group reset. You're huddling back. This feels like football is what it feels like to me. You know what this feels like? It feels like football. Between every round, between every round you huddle up, decide what everybody is doing, and then you go out there and you do those things. And as a QB, you do have your check downs, right? I check my first receiver, Covered. Check my second receiver. Covered. Check my third receiver. That's what I'm going for. You, this is what this feels like to me. Is that this you literally huddle up? This is what it feels like to me. You you huddle up between every round. So clearly, it is not designed for That's speedy so conflict funny. resolution. <laughs> no, right? it's definitely not. No. So you like if if you completely pull out like five e from your brain and pretend you've never I played a tabletop. I always completely pull out. Yeah. Um. If you uh. If you completely take 5e out of the equation, the whole concept of like combat has to be fast and this and that, and literally just take this game at face value, conflicts, which generally will happen in omen resolution, right? Right. Are like a whole fucking thing. It's a whole song and dance, like a play you're putting on like a like a like a like a scene, right? Um, and it's it, it's especially not designed to be quick. And that's fine. What's kind of cool about that is with all the moves that you can do, you can really stack and build tactics together as a group. Yeah, and again, you absolutely could. And again, that is back in that feedback loop of what this game is feels like it's designed to do, which is work as a team. So I and think I as this, far... You can make this a cool yeah. like scene-by-scene scene play. Like absolutely. have them go through the initiative order, have them resolve or not resolve, and then at the very end, the guy goes in that round like so-and-so and and stood ground and over them and left so-and-so and and they didn't attack while so-and-so was casting a spell yeah Yeah. like i could you can make this yeah cinematic and i I love doing that in fifth edition i think a lot more people need to do that and that's the narrative transitions so as you're moving to the next person like rehash the recent action and that's exactly what you just said someone can narratively rehash the entire scene and everyone be like man that was fucking cool all right what are we doing on the next one you know what i mean so so my only problem again with that is you create a scenario where conflict is not does not feel like it's supposed to be resolved quickly in a game that has a literal timer. You know, 
Damn. Yeah, that is a really good point. So that that's my only problem with that. I keep forgetting that there's like a literal timer outside of actual. Yeah, there's actually you're actually on the fucking clock. So actually on the clock. So do you even want to get in conflict? You know, you just want to avoid it almost all the time. Or resolve it as quickly as you can because you're on the clock. So it could feed into into, you know, making like don't like make the moves you think will resolve the conflict. Gotta decide now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, No fucking around because the clock don't stop um, unless you're taking a a long rest and then it'll stop for five minutes. Um, So it's interesting. It's really interesting. I like this concept. And I like again how the mechanics seem to feed into this concept. Nothing yeah. in nothing in the way and there's parts in the upper part where I'm like, eh, but then you read a little bit later and you're like, okay, that makes sense. And then you get to this part and you're like, okay, a lot of this makes a lot of sense now. And this is super, at least as far as I've seen, the game so far mechanically is super unique. Super yes. unique. Absolutely. Um, I'm still I, I really want to run this or like like play this at some point because be in my head. Yeah, because in my head, I'm like, this is really fucking cool and really fucking interesting. It definitely makes you think about games in a little like a little like a slightly different way. Yeah, but I don't know. But I don't know if it's for me. It, I'm still in that in that part in my head. Uh, really cool piece of art. Um, Life, death and other background. Yeah. So life, death, uh, and fallen heroes. Um, when blood and guts is reduced to zero or less, their hero still stands. Um, uh, though the next damage to that stat is applied to approach scores instead. Multiple approach scores may be damaged at once. All the approach scores become zero. So this is the example that I was talking about earlier. Say yeah. a hero has plus two creative, plus one careful, and zero concerted. If their blood is taken down below zero in one hit, they can still act and move, but if their blood is hit again with at least three damage, their approach scores are depleted and they fall. Mm. So if your blood score is reduced to zero, give me one second. Uh, yeah, so I'm going to keep going. Uh, so essentially, yeah, if your blood is reduced to zero, you, have a, you take stat damage. Um, which I really like, um, and I'm seeing more of, and I, I think it is an interesting way. Um, cause if you stay up and you've taken stat damage, you now are worse at doing things, which I feel like is very appropriate for, um, injury. Um, let's see if your hero falls, you have the option of letting them live or die. If you choose life, your hero becomes incapacitated and unconscious, but fully revives after five, once again, real time minutes and, or, or, or and one hour in story not and or but one hour in story um yeah. you, you restore all of your heroes approach scores uh to their last healthy value and then you roll a one there's a nice little d6 here uh chart for consequences uh ryan why don't you roll me a d6 buddy i got that i got I'm three clicks from a dice roll at all times uh d6 that's a three Ooh. Yeah. Um, gains an unnerving presence. Children, animals flee from them. So it's like unnerving. It's presence. like me You've now. been past yeah. death, you know, and you yeah. came back, and now you're all grim and you're fucked up, and babies are afraid of you, and so are dogs. So yeah. I mean, again, that's not much different than real life. So, um, 
So that's if you choose to not die, which is interesting. You can yes. just choose to not die. You can choose to um, not die. And you know what? Yeah. I think for this game, this game is not about being super mechanical. This is a cinematic adventure with you and your hero friends, and I am super okay with that in this system. I think what you just said is what is is true and makes sense. This is a cinematic adventure because if you look at the way that the initiative order works, it is it looks to me, and obviously you like it's designed to be a, a scene. Yes. Every round is this scene that everyone like plots and then acts together, you know? So yeah, it does feel very cinematic, which is really interesting. So yeah, I mean, but the game is also not very punishing. To me, like if you just look at like, not the mechanics necessarily, but just like the vibe of this game. Yeah. This is like, this is like if, have you ever seen that meme of those twins where the one is like all dressed in black and the other one is in like pinks and rainbows and shit? And it's like they're two sisters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I kind of, yeah. I, I get the concept this, at least. This is Merkborg to me. Yes. Yeah, Merkborg's all about death and murder and blood and guts and mutilation and, and the apocalypse. And this is about teamwork and and um, moving on and moving forward and like choosing whether you can die or not um, and the apocalypse, you know? Um, and, this and feels like, yeah. This feels like the the happy the happy little sibling of Merkborg, uh, but came from the same parent, obviously the same yeah. the same yeah. So if you choose death, every other hero gains experience points equal to thrice their minor levels of bond with the fallen hero. Uh, the Doomsday Clock consumes one moment, and you create a new hero. And you can have a really um, epic moment with this. You can be like, yeah. yeah, like fucking, I went down and I'm out. You know, they they died in this moment. You're like, no. Yeah, I do like it because and it really is dependent because whether you choose to live or die could really, really be dependent on how it happened. You yeah. Know? Um, what happens to inventory? Uh, you, it's on your body. People can loot the shit out of you, but you lose your spells and techniques because that makes sense. And this shouldn't be an in inventory anyway. That's one thing I don't like. Um, rest and recovery. Uh, you can only do it around. Um, you can't rest around enemies, and a short rest is two real-time minutes and one hour in story. And you recover one d six blood and one d six guts. And a long rest we've talked about five yeah, real-time minutes. And don't nap in combat, y'all. <laughs> yeah, five real-time minutes, ten in story hours, and then you get your two d six plus modifier uh, for your blood and guts. If you re-roll, roll both stats. Obviously, if you do not re-roll, you just get seven. So, evolving your hero. I think we're almost done. I think evolving is the last thing before we get to chapter four, which I don't think we're going to go through too much. Um, XP represents growing adventure expertise. Players gain three XP each per real time hour for games with one to three sessions and 12 XP each per session for longer campaigns. Hourly XP is awarded immediately. So you can literally like the, the clock hits the top of the hour. You get three XP and you can go, boom, I've raised the score. You almost want like multiple alarms or timers going when you're playing. Oh, I would definitely have like an actual giant ticking analog clock that had like, yeah. you know, little, little, little things. We just uh, talked about that you get XP at the top of every hour or specific moments and you get it right away. You don't wait till the end of the session, right? So when you get it, you can immediately evolve your character. And I, I like this. This is an interesting concept here. So um, you can... You can unspent XP does not expire. So if you don't use it on that hour, you can continue to build it. Increasing an approach score by one costs three times its next level of XP. 
So if you have okay. one, it's three XP to get to two. It's six XP to get to three. It's nine XP to get to. Well, you can't. Well, it says increasing by. Ooh, by it's, next it's next so value. From, so, so if, if to it's get from one, one to two, two, it's six. It's yeah. six. From two to three, it's nine. Yeah, yeah. That's how. That's right. So increasing a that's skill rank. <laughs> yeah, that's how math works. She just put the numbers together and then add it all. So increasing a skill <laughs> rank by one costs two times X next value. So one to two is four. Two to three is six. Um, increasing a modifier for blood and guts by one costs its new value XP. So if your modifier is a four, it, t it costs five. If it's a five, it costs six to go up. Etc. I like that. Cool. And I like how it's because in order, those are kind of your most important numbers totally. and it's, it's harder, you know, the, the more important that number is, um, bonds are increased your hero interaction. We've already talked about that. Um, again, this should be a link to this section, chapter two, step six. It's not. So look at this way uh, more appropriate art we have on the next three oh, pages. Oh man, though, yeah. You know? The next three pages, this like very somber colors, a lot of grays and blues and blacks with this very sad looking woman in this giant picture of a raven. Like, mm, that's that's doom, baby. There we go. Uh, I'm feeling like the world's about to end now. Yeah, ooh, and another chapter four, spells and techniques. Uh, what more do we need to know than we've already talked about? When using I spells, do, I just want to like, I just want to like point out like for spells, I, um, there, there are rituals that go along with them that have a cost and they're like, some of them are like really funny. Like there is one, let me find it. Right well, now. well, let's, let's get to that. Let's get to that. Um, when you cast spells and techniques, uh, you can do, uh, casting the base version immediately applies to the effect consuming one instance enhanced versions while significantly more powerful require a skill check. In many cases, a reduction of guts. You cannot sacrifice more guts than you currently have. If you succeed, an instance is consumed. If you fail, nothing happens. Uh, additionally, you cannot perform the same spell again for 15 real-time minutes. I mean, I'm starting to not dislike the real-time minutes as much. It's very consistent. I, yeah, I still think the concept, especially as a group, should be marked as when it's everybody at the same time. Uh, just take five minutes off your clock. Don't necessarily sit there for five minutes doing fucking nothing. That's the yeah. only part I, I really dislike. Otherwise, I don't mind because it's an actual clock to eat up time on the clock to do things like rests and stuff like that because it, would, it wouldn't make sense. Like you spent 10 real time hours in game, but the time doesn't move forward at all because you just decided to do it quickly. I do like it. So it's just a I, and I think that my little beef with that is is become smaller and less consequential outside of just like a little tiny pet peeve in my own head. Yeah. The more that concept comes back like this. So um, spells and techniques can be replenished uh, even if you have spent every instance, all instances are restored at the end of a long rest. If uh, a related ritual is performed by then. Failure to do so simply means you do not refresh. Note, you only can gain as many instances as your maximum. Uh, uh, so, uh, it's possible to obtain additional instances, learn new spells and techniques, or even create custom ones. Your hero should have access to the source that can teach them, such as the spellbook man or a mentor. Every 15 real-time minutes, you can roll a special skill check with a threshold number equal to arcana or focus, and not an approach. The number of successes you need for a new spell or technique is equal to its complexity, an estimate of how powerful it is. From one to four, 
Uh, lowly but useful is one. Two is highly useful in day-to-day. -day. Three is critical and can turn the tide in most situations. And four affects the entire world. Interesting. So you have to get every it's, 15 minutes. It's a little like um, Acid Mages of the Infinite Towers magic. Ooh, kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, every 15 minutes you roll this check and you have to get a number of successes. So to get to four, it's minimum an hour. If, yeah. the, if you succeed on every roll. Yes, if you succeed on every roll. Yeah. And this chapter, uh, the rating is listed next to Spell or Technique with daggers. One to four. Uh, list of spells. We already... Didn't we go through the list? Or these are just enhanced versions. Okay. Uh, uh, bind. Are, yeah. They're just there. I like. I really like that they're like all of these have a cost to them. You know. Yeah. Called yeah, a yeah, ritual, yeah. and I think that they're so funny. And my favorite one. I'm just. We're just. I'm skipping right to it. Is on page ninety one. It's called Secret page Door. Right now. It's two pages from uh, now. You can't wait. We can't wait. Oh, two man. pages. Yeah. Okay. That's what I thought. Bind weapon. Uh, it's got two daggers next to it. You summon a plus two weapon. Its specific nature is up to your imagination. Flaming swords are nice. The weapon can neither be destroyed nor disarmed. The enhanced version requires five guts plus arcana, and the effect summons a plus five weapon. That's a lot. Oh, and there is a ritual here. There is. Yeah, uh, break a non-magical weapon gifted to you by someone else. Okay, so let's skip right down to the one that you wanted to do. Which one? Uh, secret door on 91 it's on the yeah secret door the next door you encounter opens to a random place you've never seen been reverting back to normal once shut um my the ritual is just my favorite thing because you have to fucking consume a door like your character just has to fucking eat a door <laughs> that's you know what this reminds me of a lot like all of these rituals kind of remind me of a little bit because they're so random have you ever watched darker than black Yes. The anime. Oh, I love yes. Darker Than Black. Oh my gosh, yes. So in Darker Than Black, they yeah. all get they all get powers, but they all have this cost they have to do when they're most random as fuck. Some people are terrible, like awful. Like some people have to like break their fingers. Someone literally de-ages into nothingness. Yeah. Um, but the one lady literally has to chug a beer and she's like, this is fucking great. I love Guinness, you know? The one dude literally has to boil and eat a dozen hard-boiled eggs every time he uses the power. One guy has to eat a cigarette or eat like a pack of cigarettes. The lady has to eat cigarette butts. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yes. yeah, 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 yeah. The one that like killed her kid or the kid choked on a cigarette butt or something. So like, yeah, that was what this kind of reminds me of a little bit. Like yeah. there's a cost and it could be random as fuck, like eating a fucking door. Yeah. Um. There's a lot of. We, we get this, right? It's just basically just a yeah. spell book. Some cool art. Um. And then there's techniques. We can just go over one or two of the techniques because they are different, except yeah. that they feel the same. I don't really understand the difference between techniques. I spells. don't understand the difference either. Because they feel like... I don't know. They feel like the same. There's uh, bind magic. Target a creature you see. They cannot perform spells or techniques for 10 rem or 3 tick. Okay, we must have missed something. Rem and tick? Turns in conflict. Uh, real time, okay, yeah, yeah, real time yeah. minutes and turns in conflict. That's the difference between the spells and these two. Is 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 that so? Um, so uh, enhanced version costs three guts plus focus. 
The effects last 15 rim or 5 tick, and the ritual is burn a page from someone else's book of spells or technique. Oh, shit. So. Um, all right, we don't need to go through all of these. We understand that. Is that... Is chapter 4 it, and then chapter 5 heads to the appendices? Oh, I wow. Saving Grace. Target an ally you see. Any skill check, spell, or technique targeting them targets you instead for 15 rim or 5 tick. Enhanced version targets all allies, and the ritual is witness a creature's death. Wait, repeat the last one? What was the last one you were reading? Was wit the witness ritual, a creature's death. Witness a creature's death. There's some dark shit in here. There's these little gems of darkness in this whimsy world. Yeah, um, yeah Doom Paws, you have to watch an ally die. Yeah. Watch an ally die. Jeez, yeah. So chapter five, we are not going to go over the guide toolkit. And we've already said, we're already, um, ooh, this is one of the longer streams you've done. We're not going to get to the appendices. Read those. The examples are really good. I feel like we did parse out how this all works. And I don't feel lost yes. on it. You know, versus like, you know, we've talked about other games where, you know, we think we understand the rules, but we're not sure. I feel like I'm sure I know how this works. Whether I'm a super huge fan of it or not is is yes. another. It, the rules doesn't make sense to me. Regardless, I don't hate it. I think it's just a very different kind of game. Let's just let's head to the scores and let's 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 chat it out in there. So when we get to our game review. Again, for those that have are just seeing this, this is a new window. You're welcome. It's much cooler and cleaner than the last one. Um, we, we talk about these five um, categories of scores, right? Art and style, layout and function, rule set and crunch, originality and price. Go check out our Instagram, the.weekly.scroll. I did a whole post with basically a fucking PowerPoint presentation of how we score each of these. And one of the things I want to start doing in my head is I start in my head with a five. Right. And then I will add things to it versus being like, this feels like an eight. No, no. Art and style... I'm going to go, it's a five is baseline. Is it better than a five? Right. Yes. Why? And is there more and more and more to it? Right. So in my head, art and style, um, there's, it depends on how we're going to write this. Is the art great? Yes. Right. Is the style. Is the art. Is setting appropriate. Does it send a big thing about art is like, does it convey the vibe of what we're looking at? And you know what? This does not. It does not. It does not. So, but the art is gorgeous. Um, it is. And so we're saying, we're saying, we're saying to me, that's a six because the art is fucking amazing. Right. Okay. Um, I'm saying that there's a fuck ton of it. That, and you can't just look at the, like, for me, for the art, you can't just look at these, like, actual, like, pictures of people and stuff. When you look at some of the pages where the pages themselves or even just like big swatch swaths of color, right. you know, and stuff where the the way that the page is laid out, like I think the color, um, in and of the itself is aspect. also arsed art. Yeah. So like when we look at the like, the, um, let's page down to where did it? Where is the one that literally is just like? So like even this, when it's got um, this, right? So there's a, piece, a big piece of art in the back, but even the way that they use the font. Wait, who are you showing? Cause, like, because none of us can see what you're looking at because we have a different screen oh, up right now. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like what this. Page? Like even there if the background, 
even if the background didn't have this piece of art in the back, I'm saying the way that the fonts are used, the styles of different fonts, the color that add to it, to me, that all is, it's a little layout, but it's, it's art and style too. It's the style of-, of It is all, style, yeah. yes, I super agree. So stylistically, I think it's really consistent throughout the entire thing, which is a big important I part. I do too. So we're talking a minimum of seven to me right now. Right. Um, and what else are we looking for? So the other problem too, though, is, I mean, the art- Again, as gorgeous to me, it bumps to an eight, but I do think the fact that it very rarely does it convey the vibe of doom apocalypse, it drops it back down to a seven for me. Yeah, I think. Do you think it it's still better than Troika? Because Troika got a seven for art and style. I mean, so the problem is again when we look at art and style as a whole thing individually. Do I think the art pieces are better? I think oh, I think a lot of them are, but did Troika's art more add like accurately give me the vibe of Troika? Yes. And I think this is a seven. Yes. I yeah. Yeah. I I yeah. Uh let me open this up. So Which is so still a good that, score, you know? It's a great score. It's a great score. The art is awesome. I just wish it was a little bit less like kind of non sequitur. You know what I mean? Like, there's pieces where, like, yeah. the cat with the camera. What is it? Oh, I mean, realistically, like, what does that have to do with anything? You know, there's probably, like, five or six pieces in here where I'm like, this is fucking cool as shit. And this makes yeah. it feel doom. And then there's, like, 20 pieces in here where I'm like, I don't understand why this is on here. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, so, layout and function. So, layout-wise, you know, five to start. Six immediately, because, like, even if you just look at, even if you just look at, like, this page here... This is the way a lot of things are. We've talked about yeah. how the you don't clutter. You give the information that you need without like boxes on boxes on like double columns with a bunch of other shit out of the way. Like is each page very easily laid out so that you can absorb the information page by page really, really well? Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Is there a consistency to the layout all the way through the entire book? Yes. Absolutely. Is it fucking hyperlinked? Partially, yeah. Yeah, I would. So here's the thing. I would say that this is in 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 how most people hyperlink a document. I would say it's almost completely hyperlinked and that Troika spoils. Uh, and that's why it gets a 10 on like the links back to the index and, and stuff like that. I mean, maybe maybe if we were doing half points, I would say since it says chapter five here, I wish you could click to go to chapter five there. But I could also just go back to the beginning and click chapter five. So I'm not necessarily going to take a yeah. ton of points off for that. You know, in context of Troika, it's a 10. Um, right. Troika is not this. But I think outside of Troika, this is probably the best laid out book that we have seen. In my opinion. There are a couple of... Yeah, layout. Right. Yeah, yeah. I guess layout-wise. There's a couple of things I was reading that I was like, I wish this was in a different section. Um, or there were a couple of things that were like, it seemed like they were a little redundant, but I still think this is probably like an eight. Yeah, you know? I don't mind some of the redundancies. There were things that explain it multiple times, but I feel like it's because that rule was applicable in both those situations. That's you know I mean? very, very fair. So... yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, is there any game that we've even given a nine to in layout? Uh, I have all the scores up right here, so let me look. Uh, given layout, um, no, no. Are there no, games, we've given are there any games that we've given an eight? Who would we be given eight? Yeah, to? 
Into the Odd and Necronautilus both got an eight. I feel like this is better than those. No, I feel like mm, mm, it's probably an eight then. I mean, it's I probably an eight. I kind of almost want to give it a nine though because I mean it is laid out extremely extremely well. well neither of those books were hyperlinked. That's my that we gave an eight to. I think this reminds me layout wise of Into the Odd and how clean it is and everything. But it's hyperlinked. You have to give a point for that. Like it's literally like one of my biggest things. I almost want to give this right. a nine. What's your what's your final call? Well, defer, I'm good with Nate or a nine. I think either one would be fair. I'm, so. I'm, I I like nine. I haven't seen outside of Troika. I don't think I've seen a book as well laid out as this. I feel like the information, right. not only is it really easy, in my opinion, to not necessarily easy to parse the information itself, but is the information there when you need it? Yes. Is the not only and oh we freak, not only that it has a table of contacts and an index in the back like a glossary style index, which is the okay. reason we were able to find finds. Yeah, nine. Yeah. It's nine. I'm totally good with the height. Okay, so here's an interesting one, and this is always going to be an interesting one. So rules. So let's let's talk about this again for what rule set and crunch are right. And when you actually bring up what we said, rule set and crunch are rule set is the actual rules, and crunch is the uh, are the rules appropriate for what you want to do? And then originality is where we talk about like how original the rule set is comparatively and stuff like that. Cause originality right. can be in, in mechanics or lore. So we're not talking about the originality of the rules. I mean, partially we are cause it's the rule set, but don't forget that's also going to come up again. Um, so Again, it's hard to, to judge this objectively versus subjectively, so we can just find a happy medium. First of all, this is not a rules-like game. One of the first things that keeps saying this no. is rules-like, it's not. It's not. It's not. Um, this, to me, is rules-medium, which makes 5th edition rules-heavy to me. You know what I mean? Okay. I've always said, I'm good, we but... said that 5e was rules-medium, <clears throat> but it's actually medium-heavy. This, to me, is an, a, a solid... A true of, medium. A rules true medium. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think we talk about the rule set in the crunch and we said this a bunch and you said this a bunch, the rules reinforce the gameplay a lot, like a lot. So I, yeah. A lot, a lot at a point for that, you know, and yeah. even though we're going to talk about the originality and stuff like that in the next one, we do have to talk about it a little bit in the rule set and the way the rules. It's a unique work. rule set. And it was it's really, in- it was really easy to understand, you know, like we yeah. really understood it. So I, I will say it could be worded slightly differently. So it'd be a little bit easier to understand. It is a little bit clinical. Um, so yeah, but once you parse through it, you're like, okay, no, I totally get this. I totally get this. Um, what was the other part of rule set? Oh yeah. Like it brings something that you haven't seen before. I really wouldn't just pull up that Instagram post and really break down like what, um, what we said each one individually means. So when we do that, when we actually look at you know, what we specifically said, rule set and crunch are. It says rule set is scored by the quality of an original rule set um, and original rule sets should bring something unique to the gameplay. Fucking does like crazy. Yeah, it really does. There's a bunch of things that aren't in here. And then crunch is a measure of how well the rule set is utilized and if the quantity of the rules is appropriate. So um, the quality, uh, so we're at a five. So the quality of this rule set, in my opinion, 
uh, I think deserves a point. I think the uniqueness of it deserves a point. Um, I think how well it's utilized deserves a point because again, it reinforces itself constantly. So we're at an right. eight right now. Um, but I think it definitely loses a point for calling itself a rules light because it's definitely not. So for me, I'm sitting at around a seven for this. I'm good with a seven for this one. Yeah, I'm good with a seven for this too. Um, it feels right. And I like that. I don't know how you feel about this. Do you like the whole like start at a five and do plus minuses kind of thing? I do. Versus yeah, yeah, yeah. just like, I kind of feel it. Yeah. Um, so originality. Uh, being original is defined as not being derived from something else, fresh and unusual. Something with a marked departure from previous practice. Um, originality in TTRPGs can be scored in either mechanic, setting, lore, or both. Questions we ask when rating this are, can you think of another game that has blank, or have you seen blank done in this way? So we can't really talk about lore outside of like some roll tables and stuff like that, because this game is really like make make it your own, make your own setting. Yes. Yeah. And that's so great. Which, and which, I'm good with that. Yeah, because I don't think that a setting would fit this. It's literally designed to be whatever you want the apocalypse to be. But but it does give you a whole chapter of tools on how to make that done really well. And they do that really well. Yeah. And the, the whole Doom Clock is so original. So smart. You know, so smart. So smart. Well, so it I is mean, derivative of the actual "quote unquote" doomsday clock, but there's a whole like, explanation on yeah. Yeah, but the used in a tabletop game, in the game, way it's used. Yeah, yeah. I think it's incredibly, incredibly smart and original. I don't disagree with that at all. Um, I will. Uh, and rules wise, I mean, we just talked about it. There's a lot of rules in here that are not in other games, like the bond squares. Whether we're a huge fan of those or not really original and again really reinforces the gameplay which is teamwork absolutely like yeah um, i think i think um the initiative order whether i'm super into that or not with the whole like cinematic scene aspect of it uh super original yeah i guess i've never heard of anything like that at all so well, only the the only thing that i've seen similar is like i said shadow of the demon lord has kind of a concept of just like there's no oh, that's right, like, but i haven't finished reading that so but but it's not even the way that he says it in here. It's just a little bit of the way that it goes in like in turns where it's like this specific kind of turn goes first. Good guy, bad. Then this specific kind of turn goes first. Good guy, bad. And that's just very that just scratches the surface of the initiative order where it's literally like as a group, let's craft our turns together so we can create the best possible outcome and then basically act out or explain this scene round by round and then get a narrative yeah. of it. Like, I could see that be turning out really cool and being a lot of fun. Really, this might cool. get a again, really high originality yeah. score from us. Frankly. Again, my only knock on it, realistically, is is how much time I think that's really going to take on a ticking clock. But that's not that's a rule situation. That's not an originality. The rules is not originality. Yeah, yeah. To me, I mean, I don't think this is a ten. Um, because a, I think it's a nine. I think it's a nine. Easy. Yeah. What did we give a ten to? It's Necronautilus, right? Necronautilus. Yeah. So to me, Necronautilus is is more original to this because you're literally like using the concept of Dude, like yeah, fucking yeah, words. Yeah, it's, and shit. That's a whole like, other thing. I mean, it's a whole other thing. Necronautilus is an easy ten because it literally like just both yeah, well, like, com compare it to anything. You can't, you yeah. know. It breaks, but then also like massages your mind at the same time. It's like a fucking, uh, it's like it's like a sour patch kid for your brain. That's what Necronautilus is to me. Um, to me, I'm happy with this as a nine though. Yeah, me too. 
Okay, so price, we look at a bunch of different things for price. So you can, can we look up how much this book actually costs right now? Uh, Exalted Funeral. Uh, I think it's art. 50 bucks for the hardback. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what it is. And 35 for the softback, which is average, right? We've looked at 35 bucks for a, a softback and a, and a PDF of a 170 page book. That's about average. It's average. Yeah. But there's not any extra stuff with it or. Oh, there's a fuckload of extra stuff. If you go really? to the website. Yeah. If you go to the website, the amount of free content that they have hmm. for this is crazy. So when you go to the website, I'll kick back to, uh, to this page right here. First of all, you know that you get the the uh, resources. You get the free character sheets, right? Quick start rules, which you've already said is is great to have. Yeah online character sheet okay um printed character sheets uh it's in roll 20 so if you want to get the roll 20 module for it it's built in there with their oh character very sheets. cool yep there is literally a discord bot so you could actually in discord play this whole game Doom Quest generate random yet compelling story prompts compatible with Ark or any adventure. So literally an omen maker. Oh, and, and a third party license. Wow, there's a lot on the website. Exalted Funeral just has the book. So yeah, yeah. But I mean, this is the Ark website. Yeah, yeah. And that's not even it yet. I think there's still more stuff coming from. Uh, I'm not sure if that's that's it or not. But but to me, that's a lot. I mean, obviously, you'd pay for the Roll20 module, but like all the rest of this is completely free. Like, to me, that's a lot. Yeah. So, I mean, even we've already said, like, love a fucking game with quick start rules. Um, yeah, absolutely. And you have to have the character sheets, but to have, like, the online and the print ones options, yeah. I mean, the Discord bot, the Doom generator, to me, I mean... Dude, yeah, shout out the Discord bot. That's a really great little, like, free thing that <sighs> is super usable. Yeah, I was thinking about adding it in just to play with it a little bit, but it says it's a seamless way to play Ark right in your server, make skill checks, track the Doomsday Clock, and import your character sheet from Google Sheets or Roll20 directly into your Discord server. Yeah, super fucking cool. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So, some solid resources, and even just the Doom Quest generator, like an Omen generator, is so fucking cool. So, and again, we're, I'm, we're just repeating ourselves again, a third-party license so big so huge because you know what that's going to get you more content more content you know more uh, and availability of content is something we talk about a lot in price so yeah it's really nice that it's one of those games that has moved towards like yeah make some third-party content for this shit make shit show me what you can get from this shit yeah, yeah i really really like it a lot i don't know what you would really do a lot more spells different character options maybe write adventures list of omens create like a little yeah. micro setting you know that kind of yeah. stuff but but yeah so so i mean price wise again the book is average cost so that's a five but then you get quick start rules and character sheets which i think gives a, a point to it because those should be part of a game but some don't yeah but quick start rules and online and print character sheets are, are great okay i agree roll 20 roll 20 module like ready to run ready to go like, that's a point that's a point. I mean, whether you like Roll20 or not, it'd be cool if they also had Foundry, maybe eventually. But to be able to import your character sheets directly in, and then the Discord bot that lets you import that sheet into your server, I think that's That's pretty all, awesome. Yeah. 
on top of that, you have an online generator, a free online generator, and a third-party license. I mean, it's hard not to give that four points. It's hard not to give this a nine. Realistically, it's well, hard not to give it. Once we give a nine on price. I don't know if we ever give a nine. I know we gave two tens, but Cascaland is literally free. Like... Yeah, <laughs> yeah so literally it cost anything. Literally free. And Merkboard gives you so much content that it would be insane not to give it to it. And the book's not that expensive. Yeah, I think this is a nine for price. Yeah. I'm just, I, my only thought is, does this kind of bonus content really raise an averagely priced book? 50 bucks, and that's 50 bucks for not even the special edition of the hardback. Does right. the online generator... Roll 20, the Discord bot character sheet and stuff. Does that really get it all the way up to a nine? You're almost doubling the score. No, that's fair. So what are you yeah. thinking? I'm I'm happy with an eight. I'm happy with an eight. For I'm that. happy with an eight. I think that's fair. Yeah, because I do think there's a lot of uh, usability in in um, the resources they give you. It's not just a bunch of random yeah, shit. Where like, I agree. Give me a bunch of stuff, but it's not like I'm really going to use that a lot. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I guess thanks for all this. I guess, mm. <laughs> you know, this is this. This might be this might beat into the odd, dude. And what's funny is <laughs> like, we don't even know if we're ever going to play this or that we're going to enjoy it, but it's just so interesting. Oh, I might actually uh, play this with my little side group. You know, you should. You can be the test group for a lot of this stuff. Yeah. Um, so what did you get total for that? For what? For, did you add that up? Oh, I can add it up right now. No, I was not adding it up. Uh, I just want to make sure that my math's not wrong. I wasn't ready. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, no, I did it twice. I think this is one point below into the odd. 40? It's a 40. Yeah. It's a 40. I think into the odds a 41, isn't it? 42? 41? I don't know. But yeah. I mean, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so that's arc. We'll post, um, what I, what I want to start doing too is posting, uh, a breakdown today or tomorrow, uh, or at least, a a, a little preview or recap of the kickstart the podcast section that we go over. So like every day after the podcast, you'll get, um, we can list the ones that we actually talked about. Uh, we're gonna, we need to catch up on dropping the scores. So I'm going to try to drop those scores a little quicker uh, so that we, cause we have like six games that we want to do. I also want the Instagram to look cool. So we'll see how it, as it comes out, um, <laughs> we'll announce when the next, uh, podcast episode is available on podcast and on our YouTube and our Instagram posts. Basically the Instagram is going to be a lot and maybe I'll start fucking around with Twitter. We'll see. We don't have an official Twitter for the weekly scroll. We do have the adventure archive. Um, but yeah, so follow the Instagram, especially the dot weekly dot scroll, because that's where you're going to get a lot of, uh, the we content there, we talk baby. about yeah we're I, my goal is to try to post a bunch of times a week um preview what's coming up the next week um give you the breakdown of what we did this week stuff like that what do you want to do next week and then we can we can say a real goodbye and get out of here next week is christmas oh what do you want to do the next time we get together i don't know yet do you do we do we want to try to announce it or do we really, really want to sit down and talk about it because it really depends on what kind of episode we want to do next we can do a bunch of little games let's sit down and talk about it you okay yeah i just gotta i gotta gotta 
my phone is not on silent, which in 2021 is very weird for, I think, most people. Um, so, yeah. Listen, y'all, I think we're going to discuss it and we'll announce on the Instagram what we're going to work on yeah. for our next episode. Exactly. We have a couple of ideas. Yeah. Or, uh, or hop into our Discord. We'll post it in there. Um, so, yeah, uh, it's pretty late. It's almost 1140. So we're going to get moving. Um, if you are listening in podcast land on whatever preferred podcast you are on, if there's the ability to rate us, we would really appreciate the highest rate. We'd love possible. you. Yeah, for our content, which we hope is not too terrible. Again, uh, uh, we don't, we're a bunch of fucking assholes. Uh, a lot of times, as you can see by the score we give this game, uh, when we're critical of the games, because we're kind of being like devil's advocate a little bit, it's it's kind of like, let's pick this apart, um, but then, right. you know, uh, still really enjoy it. Um, so, so we hope you like that. Uh, check us out at uh, theadventurearchive.net where you see a lot of the streams here on the Adventure Archive. We do play D&D, we play Merc Borg a bunch, we play a lot of different stuff, um, and then the podcast is every week. So you see breakdowns of all the streams that we do. Um, if you follow on uh, the.adventure.archive, that is the Instagram for that. And then um, you can check out our YouTube at youtube.com or whatever, slash the Adventure Archive, and you can actually watch all of the games we play plus the VODs for these streams right here. So however Come you want to watch us, our however, faces. Yeah. However you want to enjoy our content, whether it's on the podcast or not, um, we are the Weekly Scroll or the Adventure Archive. Thank you so much for checking out um, this game with us today. Thank you for being here. Um, and check us out on Instagram and Discord to find out what we're going to be doing uh, the week after Christmas. Uh, so we love have a wonderful day. Yeah. And Hunter, wonderful as always. I will see you. Great, great time. Good long yeah. episode. Yeah, um, I mean, we'll talk a lot before two weeks is up, but uh, I'll see you. Us? Yeah. See you, man. Just a bit. Farewell, right. podcast well, land. Bye, everybody.